Aquaman and Superman, Animal Man and Plastic Man, Firestorm and Nuclear Man, Batman and Hawkman, 2D Man and Hour Man. Who are all these people, man? They're all part of the DC. Who's who? Ultra Boy and Booster Gold, Lightning Lass and Hippolyta, Phantom Stranger, Hedrick and Arisia and Woozy Winks. Hey, hey, hey. What? What about that one guy? What guy? Mr. Pretzel, Mr. Lipstick, Mr. Mitzelfuzzle? Mr. Mitzi's Pitlick? Yeah, him. He's also part of the DC. Who's who? Hello, and welcome to the second episode of Who's Who Review, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag, and along with me is my co-host, the esteemed Rob Kelly. How you doing, buddy? I feel like we're back in 2011, Shag. We're doing Who's Who shows kind of... Close to where we recorded the last one? What's, what's right. happening here? I know. It hasn't been, we don't have to apologize for it having been a year. <laughs> <laughs> this is great. We're doing classic who's who entries. We got some like, you know, repetition. It's happening. This is exciting. I got to, I got to do everything I used to do. I don't know if I ever told you my style. I get out uh, all the issues or I get, or I, I load the entries on a tablet or something and I sit there and I'm, I make copious notes i have big thick notebooks i've kept all of them i'll, I'll sell them someday at auction when i or whatever but i uh <laughs> the shag archives exactly but i like i love i like i write all these notes i write first appearances i write other places to, i do all that stuff that everything i say is pretty much in a notebook somewhere and so it's just so exciting to do this again i love it we'll just get an ai to read them then and oh, you can just Lord. sit it out you know <laughs> <laughs> so what do you think I, how do you think we did last time did people like it I think so. We got a really great response. Of course, we'll be doing feedback in this episode. So that means this episode is going to be three hours long. Uh, but yeah, people really <laughs> seem to like it. we had a we had a great time going through the who's who. And it was, you know, I was a little worried, a little, not that much, but I don't really care what you people think. But I was generally <laughs> kind of like, eh, we're kind of redoing this. Maybe people will be like, well, what the hell is this? But no, it seemed to be well regarded. And the, the, the comments rolled in pretty pretty soon after we posted the episode. So that was just great. Oh yeah, I, they were coming in literally the morning I woke up before we even advertised that they were coming mm -hmm. in. So that's awesome. Yeah, no, I'm I'm so glad people responded positively to it. And yeah, I mean the fact is, folks, we do this for us. We don't really do it for you because <laughs> we have to find ways to entertain ourselves. It's just awesome that you happen to like it too. That's what the best part about this is. So just to remind you guys, the whole premise of Who's Who review. Uh, so this is a subset, I guess, of the Who's Who podcast, or this is probably going to be the the dominant thing on the feed for a while, where we are going to look back at the original volume of Who's Who, the 26-issue run. We're going to select 13 characters from ran completely randomly. We'll use the randomizer. And what does that sound like, Rob? Boop, 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 boop. Exactly right. Uh, and I have indexed every single entry in the Who's Who. Now, last time, I had to go back and clean it up a little. I had the index that I, you know, worked piecemeal from the internet i went back and literally by hand checked every single who's who entry like the cover with the listing no kidding i checked them all so i had the numbers were a little off because there was a couple in there that weren't just right so anyway it's a total of 18, 819 entries in the original who's who that's crazy <laughs> so we use the randomizer you did this 819 times i know isn't that insane oh my god so uh and we're doing it again so we use the randomizer <laughs> to pick 13 uh numbers and we cover those entries so there we go and, and why are why are we doing this? <laughs> I don't know. No, because because we love the original Who's Who series. We love the original show. We wanted to find a way to kind of continue it. You said this is sort of this will become the dominant trend. This will be the Frasier to the original show's Cheers. <laughs> sort of the the old Frasier, not the new Frasier, by the way. Right. Um, but this gives us a chance to talk about our favorite volume of Who's Who in in kind of a fresh new way. And we said we've really been enjoying ourselves. 
Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Let's get into this. Let's let's not do all the nattering on. Let's do it. So, folks, mm-hmm. this episode, is, as I go into our sponsor, uh, this episode is sponsored by our partner, In Stock Trades. Uh, In Stock Trades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collectors, all for up to 42% off with free shipping on orders of $50 or more. So what'd you bring, buddy? Well, of course, based on one of the entries that we will get to, I picked House of Mystery, the Bronze Age Omnibus Hardcover Volume Three. So we're doing uh, Elvira. That's yes, awesome. that's right. Yeah, that's right. We are featuring a cover by Ryan Sook. It's an absolutely gorgeous cover by Ryan, Ryan Sook. By the way, nine hundred and twelve oh pages. <laughs> it, it reprints uh, House of Mystery numbers two twenty seven through two fifty four. Now, in case any of you are kind of wondering. How are they all the way into the 200s when they're only on volume three of this book? Well, House of Mystery, when it started in the 50s, was more of a sci-fi title. Uh, DC called it House of Mystery, but it really was about more like aliens and, and stuff like that because uh, the comics code really couldn't have any horror. And so, you know, they had all their mystery, all their quote unquote horror titles were, were more sci-fi fantasy titles. But then the comics code loosened. And all the horror stuff came in in the very late 60s, early 70s. Once, and so, they, cru- once they crushed EC Comics. And, absolutely. And, uh, and, and so all that stuff came in. And so DC did an abrupt right turn on all their horror books. And all of a sudden, House of Mystery and House of Secrets and The Unexpected became genuine horror titles. So that's what these Bronze Age books are collecting is the horror, the true horror era of the house of mystery and you have they, they're edited by joe orlando speaking of ec and there's work by alex toth and neil adams and jerry grandinetti and it's all this really great stuff so that's what these are collecting so i mentioned it's 912 pages normal price 150 dollars but in stock trades price is only 87 dollars you save 42 percent off so if you have a horror fan in your on your uh, christmas list everybody this would be a great present that's awesome and uh hey you know Joe Orlando, that name's going to come up again soon anyway. Mm-hmm. And uh, by the way, if you buy this volume and read aloud every page in a PJ Frightful voice, Ryan Daly, all 900 pages, Ryan Daly will come to your house and have Christmas with you. So something to think <laughs> about. Um, it's okay. He doesn't listen to the show anyway. He has no idea. So uh, <laughs> I picked Crisis on Multiple Earths Trade Paperback Book 3, Countdown to Crisis, because we love the JLA, JSA team-ups, right? I mean, we're just suckers for them easy marks these are the latter day ones so these are the jerry conway ones coming up towards the end you know starting with the death of mr terrific going all the way up to the uh the crossover in crisis and but because of a couple entries in here i I was gonna say what they are but maybe i won't i don't know yeah i am i don't care whatever you guys are gonna you've already looked at the gallery you know who we're covering uh because uh this book's also includes and ragdoll is in there we're covering him today secret society supervillains which we're going to cover in the feedback uh and earth crisis on earth prime we love crisis on earth prime so of course all-star squadron crime syndicate are in there so this is awesome I mean, it's such a great collection and got so many characters from this book. It's 472 pages, so only half the size of the uh, House of Mystery, which is so you can fit this one in your backpack. Uh, cover arts by Kevin Nolan, full color, <laughs> soft cover. It's normally $39.99. You can get it for $23.19, which is 42% off. $23.19 for some of my absolute favorite JLA JSA crossovers of all time. That is a hell of a steal, folks. So for this and all your other trade paperback needs, please visit InStockTrades.com. 
So this episode is also sponsored in part with your Patreon support. Because, you know, running the Firewater Podcast Network is so many shows. You know, requires a lot of online hosting and other services. And a while back, we realized we needed some help with some of the expenses. So we launched the Patreon, and you folks really stepped up to help keep the network going. So if you're enjoying the Who's Who podcast, uh, the best way to support our show is by visiting our Patreon. What's that Patreon, Rob? Patreon.com slash podcast. That's right. And when you're there, please consider supporting the network. And at certain tiers, you get mentioned on your show of choice, just like these folks who asked to be recognized on the Who's Who podcast. So our thanks go out to Damian Drew A. Whiter, David Ace Gutierrez, Mike Atchison, Nathan Archer, Tom Panarese, Gord Tolton, Charles Coletta, Jeremiah Jones-Goldstein, Noah Tarnell, and Tom Perrain. All right, folks, again, please visit our Patreon at patreon.com slash fwpodcast. All right, so we're going to do this. So we are going to be posting the, the all 13 entries will be on our website. I've just taken screen grabs from DC Infinite, so not going to be huge. You know, pay for DC Infinite, folks. You can read it all, the glorious detail there. Uh, and then the best place to leave your comments can be on our website. And, Rob, do you know some of the amazing artists we're going to be talking about today? Uh, it is a mur- – like who's who itself. It's a murderer's row of talented artists and the, just these 13 entries. Greg Greg Brooks isn't in here. Uh, we're going right, to be talking. Uh, right. That joke's God never going to stop. Man has so, served his time, as far as but, I know. Uh, but seriously, listen. I'm, these are just some of the people involved, folks. Just to give you a taste test: Jerry Ordway, Jerry the Extraordinary Ordway, Paris Cullens, Steve Rude, Murphy Anderson, Irv Novick, Joe Orlando. There's that name. Dan Spiegel, Terry Austin, Dick Giordano the recently passed Keith Giffen, uh, and many, many more. So this is awesome. Let's do it. Let's get into this. So the first right. entry, uh, Rob, fire up the randomizer. <laughs> I realize that sounds like Jeopardy or whatever, but it's, it's the randomizer, I promise. It's okay. It is, it's the same one I use, too, so it's okay. So the first entry is, and it's a winner, folks. It is a doorbuster. It is All-Star Squadron. Woo! Two pages! We're actually going to cover both. Uh, so it's two pages spread. It is the whole team running at... First of all, it's by, uh, by Jerry Ordway. Jerry the Extraordinary Ordway, okay? And this is from issue number one of Who's Who, by the way. So it is the whole... Uh, also, well, I shouldn't say the whole All-Star Squadron. That'd be like hundreds of people, <laughs> yeah. wouldn't it? It is that would require dom- a fold-out to do. Right. It is the dominant members of the All-Star Squadron running at you. And then uh, along the edges are the glorious headshots. First of all, we love the headshots. But it is Jerry the Extraordinary Ordway drawing commander steel liberty bell robot man amazing man firebrand tarantula johnny quick hawkman green lantern our man plastic man dr fate the guardian hawk girl shining knight and the atom it is freaking amazing what do you think of this drawing buddy yeah i mean can't be beat i'm sure whatever we said in the first the first uh episode of who's who uh can't be improved upon because this is just what else do you want? <laughs> right, you know, right. Great pose drawn by Jerry Ordway doing, you know, doing the book. He's, I mean, I don't know. It depends on your point of view. Art most famous for maybe some people would say Superman or Power of Shazam or whatever. Power Shazam, I mean, yeah, yeah. This is my, I mean, to me, this is it. This is it. I loved Ultra Squadron. I had every issue. I bought it from number one through number 67. I even bought Young All Stars. That was a mistake, but I did. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, this is just, yeah, I I want this as like a T-shirt. You know what I mean? Mm. Like I could take off the the serp the the um the border and the text and maybe even the heads, but just putting this image of them running on like a white T-shirt, like mm-hmm. I would totes. Now that I'm married, I don't need to worry about landing a woman, so I would totally have this. Shirt. <laughs> 
Uh, it might, I don't know. I think it might drive your woman wild because I think this is amazing. I think it's absolutely stunning. Uh, some interesting tidbits too about it. I mean, you're right. This is like a defining Jerry Ordway look, right? I mean, he defined the way the All-Star Squadron would look is up for, like for me, his version of Alan Scott during the All-Star Squadron, that is what Alan Scott looks like to me. No matter what I think of all the iterations of Alan Scott in my head, Alan Scott always looks like Jerry Ordway drawing an All-Star Squadron. That is my Alan Scott. And um, I do love, like, there's some interesting tidbits in here, like Liberty Bell's wearing a cape. You know, that's not something you see very often. Um, I don't remember if she had one in the 40s or not, but... It, she gets it, one later on in the book, I think, was if that I what it was? correctly. Oh, yeah, okay. but, like, she changed. I'm I'm more, I'm pro, I'm, I'm sans cape. I think she looks better yeah. without a cape, but... I agree. And, 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 of course, her daughter would go on not wearing the cape, so, yeah. Uh, Dr. Fate's got the half helmet at this point, and I, and I always kind of chuckle at the more modern costumes. They they squeezed in there, you know, Tarantula and Amazing Man and stuff like that. that was, they look great. They're great costumes. Would you look at those like, yeah, those are not 1941 costumes. No, they're not. <laughs> those are definitely mm-hmm. 1980s costumes. You, you don't agree? Oh, no, no, totally. totally. Oh, okay, all right. So uh, here's an interesting thing. I got thinking about the JS, uh, about the All-Star Squadron. By the way, their first appearance is Justice League America number 193 from August 1991. All right. So, and that was what, a, a sneak preview book, if I remember yep. right, wasn't it? Yep. Yeah. So the interesting thing is here, you know, the All-Star Squadron was a retcon. You know, some people forget that. It was a retcon created in 1981, you know, for the 1940s. So at that time, when they were created in 1981, that retcon was 40 years old, from 40 years from Pearl Harbor is what it boils down to. Yet now, Rob, here we sit 42 years after the All-Star Squadron <laughs> was created. So there's actually been more time they've been around than there wasn't. Okay. Feeling great. <laughs> well, okay. I'm not I'm, feeling great about my life at the moment. I was going to say, yeah, like maybe I like math more than you. I don't know. But okay, you're just feeling the pain. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even mention, by the way, the 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 Serpent. It's the it's like a very it's like a barely hinting at the Perisphere, which is pretty yeah. awesome. This uh, this book is so. Resp- I mean, we're not exactly talking about the entry in this moment, but like this book was so responsible for me uh, going off and finding interest in things not related to comic books. Like mm. I really got into like the the World's Fair, reading about the New York World's Fair. I have some New York World's Fair m- memorabilia from that time. Uh, I think this was probably my beginning of fascination with reading about. Franklin Delano Roosevelt, like this, all the, all the true history stuff that Roy Thomas stuck into this book really seeped into my brain and, and spiraled out and, and continued on to my sort of education about real world things, all thanks to this comic. No, that's fair. I, I think it helped me gain a, a bigger interest in World War II. You know, World War II for me was just the brushstrokes, you know, Pearl Harbor, D-Day, yep. that kind of stuff. So I learned a lot more of the minutiae and like, oh, these are real people. These, you know, not. Green Lantern, but you know, like FDR or whatever. <laughs> like these, these are things that happen to real people, and it just kind of made it a little more real for me. Um, uh, since we, you, as you said, we're talking more about the book, so let's talk about the entry a little bit. So the entry, the text is very, very small. I mean, there's very little text here. They do squeeze in that Hawkman chaired the first meeting. Uh, they do talk about how Liberty Bell became elected the chair uh, of the team. That, which you know, kind of in hindsight too, that's another thing that's like I don't know that would have happened in the 1940s. That is a little retroactive for the 1980s, but hey, I'm glad they did it. It was the right thing to do. Uh, and then Plastic Man on the team, like, I almost feel like they had, like, they even talk about it. Plastic Man served as the FBI liaison. I feel like they almost feel like they have to explain why he's there. Like, I think it because at this point, we're not too far off of when the Plastic Man cartoon happened, you know? So mm. it probably might even, con- I know it confused me as a kid. I'm like, what's he doing in the 1940s? Isn't he supposed to be hanging out with Bad Luck Hula? You know, or whatever. So, um, and then, you know, another thing people forget, the name itself. It's a clever play on All-Star Comics, right? I mean, that's it's very clever the way Roy came up with that. 
Now, I have an admission to make. As much as I love the All-Star Squadron, and I love the concept of the All-Star Squadron, and I love that it existed, I have a very hard time reading the book nowadays. Um, Roy just overwrote the hell out of it. <laughs> it's a little tough for me to read nowadays. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a bad person for saying that, folks. I'm sorry. But uh, anyway, if you want to celebrate it without having to read it, a great way is by listening to the World on Fire podcast, which they covered every issue of All-Star Squadron. They did a great job. At, it was a fantastic podcast run. Uh, or you can listen to JSA Presents. I'm sure we'll touch on some aspects of it at some point. And that, or the Earth 2 podcast. All are great ways to uh, enjoy your love of All-Star Squadron. And at this point, when issue number one of Who's Who was out, they were on All-Star Squadron number 43. So pretty far along in the run already. Oh, man. I miss this book. I know. <laughs> overwritten as it might be, I do. I really do miss it. I, I think I'm going to end up rereading some. Like I tell you, every time we do one of these episodes, I end up going reading a bunch of comics, and I'm, I think All Star Squadron may be the one I'm going to try and read again. So yeah, there really weren't that many series that I read from Stem to Stern that mm-hmm. I was around for at the beginning, and I stuck through uh, to the very end. There weren't that okay. many. I'd have to think about it, but there really aren't. Most of the books that I loved that I bought until the final issue, I picked up. You know, we're Justice League of America, you know, yeah. Raven the Bull was around before I came around. But this, this, like, I remember buying number one off the stands. And I remember buying number 67 at a comic shop. Okay. You know? <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. That's interesting. I, I am the opposite. I kill things that I love. So pretty much every comic I've ever don't, collected. Don't I, I know it. I, <laughs> ow. So next entry, Rob, you're up. <laughs> so it's Kane. From the House of Mystery, of course, I mentioned that. He first appeared in House of Mystery number 175 right there. I believe that's the first one. I think that's the first one where they take the, the horror turn. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. It's drawn by Joe Orlando. He's sitting on his pet Gregory, this dragon. Uh, and it's got this great surprint of the, the, the House of Mystery in the background in this, in this magenta, which by the way, I stole for a uh, assignment what? when I was at the Joe oh. Hubert school. I took, <laughs> I, I didn't steal the artwork from Joe Orlando or anything. No, I, I stole that drawing of the House of Mystery. I uh, just basically copied it, the shadows and everything for, for an assignment that I had. But anyway, uh, yeah, this is the beginning. And like, we're going to, like we talked about in the first episode and we'll mm-hmm. go, we'll talk about a lot as the series rolls on. When we first did this listing, mm-hmm. Kane had never appeared in any sort of. <laughs> Other medium, <laughs> and now he's been in a ton of them. Uh, he's been in cartoons. He's been in live action. For Pete's nice. sakes, I he mean, in, you're thinking Sandman. Did you know he was in Lucifer? I didn't know he was. In no, Lucifer. I had no idea. I, had <laughs> I didn't no watch idea. that show. <laughs> oh my god, I had no idea. So yeah, twice, you know. But I watched Sandman. My wife and I watched Sandman when it aired, and we we like binge watched it. And I was like, you know, I I don't think I. Maybe I will at some point, but at this point, I'm still not yet fully jaded where I don't shake my head at the amazement that like Kane from the house right. is in a TV show. Like this is like a D level character. No offense to Kane, but this is like, I don't want to hit me in the head with a rock, but this is like a D level character. And here he is an actor got hot, you know, like hired to play Kane from the house of mystery. Um, did is you ever Greg- read how- isn't Gregory in there too? If I yes. remember right. Yeah, it's yeah. very sad actually. There's a whole mm-hmm. turn. It's yeah. really quite tragic. Uh, did you read, did you ever read the house of mystery? I did kid? not. No, I, I'm familiar with Kane because he became a regular in blue devil. Um, right, he, right, he right. moved from the house of mystery to the house of weirdness. So that's where I first became aware of Kane. And then I read Sandman and became aware of him there, but I'd never read any house of mystery with him. No, I would buy it every so often. 
Hmm. Um, so, cause you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's an anthology book. So you don't need yep. to read every issue. And I didn't love, you know, DC, even though they were doing horror, DC never really, I think, got a, got a handle on horror the way Marvel did. Uh, you know, occasionally they did, but I, it, by the, Late seventies, the the horror stuff isn't isn't really very scary, you know. It's a pretty 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 mild uh kind of stuff. They are, although it was all drawn uh beautifully. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I buy the book, but I still missed it when it when it was canceled. Uh, it ended at, at number three twenty one again. Why did I remember these things? I can. There were. It's amazing. There, were, there are literally women I have dated whose names I do not remember, but I can tell you that the House of Mystery ended with number 321 featuring a Mike Kaluta cover. That's stuff I can remember. Um, Rob, Rob Kelly, Nerd Playa. That's, that's, your, so, new, yeah. that's your new title. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I should point out that the base of operations which I think was revealed here for the first time in Who's Who. Maybe not. Maybe it's in House of Mystery somewhere, and I don't know. But anyway, the House of Mystery is located somewhere in the Kentucky Hills. Is that what your entry says? Mine says, quote, down the street from House of Franklinstein is what mine says. <laughs> I don't know. That's weird. So I, I love the idea that Chris and Cindy might, in fact, live not that far away from the House of Mystery. I, th- I, th- I think the House of Frankenstein and the House of Mystery are right next to each other, quite frankly. <laughs> That's how it is. It works in my head. <laughs> Kane is always coming by, stealing all the blow molds and stuff like right. that. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyway, it mentions that he, he has his full name is unknown. Of course, he's the brother of Abel. Get it, everybody? And Eve, his cousin. I was going to say, you keep talking about how he's like not a known character. He's in the most read book ever. I'm just yeah. saying. <laughs> John Grisham? I don't understand. Right. John, exactly right. John Grisham. Uh, <laughs> so, but anyway, yes, this is his, his listing. It mentions he possesses no powers except for a slight malicious streak, which I think is underplaying it slight he kills people a lot a diabolical sense of humor and an unnatural gift for storytelling i love he's a subpar hand-to-hand combatant kane prefers to rely on his wits when confronted with physical violence so had they at this point had they introduced the shtick where kane kills his brother oh yes okay all right i wasn't sure if that was the sandman thing or got introduced earlier on or not yeah no no no. he's always been torturing abel all the all these years so there's, there's a funny bit in here where it says nothing is known about the House of Mystery, unlike the House of Secrets, as if like all the secrets have been shown about the House of Secrets. Right, like right. with that kind of name, really? Like uh, someone didn't, someone was asleep at the wheel. <laughs> so I, I do love, uh, first of all, the art is great. I mean, the, the serpent is gorgeous, right? And, uh, then Kane's expression, the maniacal, terrifying look on his face. That logo is so pretty. It looks like a really beautiful calligraphy one, uh, kind of font sort of thing. But then the eye is dripping blood, which I never noticed until prepping for this episode, which looks great. Um, and then, um, what else? Oh, so you love the height and weight stuff. Six foot two, <laughs> 174 pounds. Him? I can believe it. He's skinny, he's, right? He's, he's super skinny. Sure. Freakishly skinny. Yeah. Yeah. So at this point, uh, this was in issue number four, by the way, of Who's Who. And at this point, uh, Kane had really last been seen in DC Comics Presents number 53 uh, about two years ago, prior to this. And uh, interesting enough, that was written by Dan Mishkin, which got me thinking, interestingly enough, so Dan Mishkin writes him in 1983, seven issue, seven months after this issue of Who's Who, he shows up in Blue Devil. So I think maybe there's a connection there. I think Dan Mishkin, you know, wrote him before, got a nudge from Who's Who. So I think this Who's Who might be responsible for Kane ending up in Blue Devil. That's just my guess. Maybe so. Uh, yep. One thing I will point out, it doesn't mention it here uh, in the listing. There's no reason for it to. But in the in the final issue of The House of Mystery, they actually break the fourth wall and reveal that Kane knows he's a comic book character. 
What? Yes, because he is introduced to, uh, if you're going to believe it, Karen Berger, uh, who was the editor, of course, of House of Mystery and would go on to be a legendary editor at DC Comics, Vertigo, creator of the Vertigo imprint and whatnot. But the whole bit is that the House of Mystery has been canceled and Kane gets mad and he goes to DC Comics to protest and they decide, well, the book isn't selling and maybe we have some new ideas that you might want to try. Maybe you'd be willing to host one of those. And there's like the house of mystery in space. So he's like an astronaut and he's like, Oh, and then there's like, yes. And then there's another one where he's like, it's a Southern Gothic. And they're like, what about the Kane's country hoedown? And it's like him with overalls. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like a Keith Giffen story. This sounds hilarious. It is very, it's really startling because you're like, wow, but they just got goofy. At the, the final issue of the house. That is of so funny. But he doesn't mention it here that he, I mean, I don't know why they would. They yeah. didn't do it for Ambush Bug either. But Kane, at least in that issue, is aware that he is a character inside of the comic book. That is cool. And then right after that, they replaced him. I wasn't kidding when I said Elvira earlier. Elvira's house Elvira. Mystery. Yeah. Right? Yep. So bizarre. All right. Well, folks, for more on him, check out again Lucifer or Sandman. Uh, he even showed up in an ep- episode of Je- Justice League Action. Uh, or if you, if Blue Devil, we're going to be covering the Blue Devil series on Once Upon a Geek. We're going to get there. So Kane will be with us in a little while. Or I'm, sh- I'm sure Ryan Daly must have covered a story from the midnight, the podcasting hour. At some point, you could check that out as well. All right. We ready? Mm-hmm. Up next is Color Kid, also from issue four by Keith Giffen. So sad that he's gone now. Uh, and Bob Oxner. And it is a super fun image of Color Kid in, in very much a Giffen 1980, late 80s style. You know, the eyes are all black, the giant forehead, uh, lots of blacks, but it's really effective here. So Color Kid's kind of at a jaunty angle, and he's got a rainbow thing across his chest, but he's got mostly kind of that Legion look where it's, um, I don't even know what you call it, but where the, the whole middle section of your body is like one, a single color, and then the, the your our sleeves and legs are a different color. Um, I don't know. There's someone who knows something about fashion can explain what I'm talking about. If you ever read a Legion comic, you know what I'm talking about. And then the serpent behind is just this giant version of him, and he's all smiley. It's a very simplistic drawing. I mean, I'm not saying Keith didn't put a lot of effort into it, but when you look at it, he really kind of went for a minimalism kind of thing. Uh, the logo is very simple, you know, color kid, almost like those kind of uh, magnets you use as a kid that you stick on refrigerators and spell words with. Um, and the text is also very, very small. So I, it's a fun drawing, but there's not a lot to say about it. What do you got, buddy, on this? <laughs> it's a great drawing. Um, you know, it's, it's, it is, it's Giffen's uh, kind of minimalist uh, Munoz inspired art style is mm, kicking yeah. in at this point. I, I mean, well, I haven't measured it, but this might be, it may not be the most, but it's certainly in the running for the top five least amount of copy. Yeah. On a single listing. Maybe right. you could have, you know, a city or something. But in terms of just a one character, this guy gets two paragraphs and they're short paragraphs. And that is it. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I think Giffen would, you know, was more interested in the art probably at this point. And it is a fun drawing. I mean, I love the puffy sleeves. I love the You choice. try writing a history of color, kid. Right. I, mean, I know. What are you supposed to do? Hey, don't interrupt me when I'm talking about puffy sleeves. I take this very seriously. Uh, he's got a joyous face, but yeah, I mean, I, I love what Giffen did. Great utilization of the space. So basically, you know, the, the gist is that he came to Earth to join the Legion of Superheroes. He got his powers as a result of a laboratory accident. And, he, and his power is to change the color of things, which sounds stupid, right? It sounds like I can make a rock gray to green or whatever, right? And at this point, Giffen was really getting into the, uh, doing the Legion of Substitute Heroes as a joke, which started a couple years before this in DC 
Comics presents. So the the subs at this point are kind of like tongue in cheek, getting a lot. They're getting and DC's getting some mileage out of it. People like it, but it's interesting. After this, people have spent a lot of time trying to make this power useful. Like in role playing games, like they they find they worked so hard to make this power like useful. Like you could like I actually had a character who can change color in one of our role playing games, and he would change people's like retinas to clear. So change the colors of the retina to blind them. I mean, things like that. I mean, like things you would never think of. Um, you know, and so anyway, this, there are uses for the power, but they obviously don't make them work here. Anyway, not a lot to say about him. Again, Keith Giffen, beloved, uh, comic book writer and artist. And so sad that we've lost him. Uh, Keller Kid's first appearance was Adventure Comics number 342 from 1966. And at this point, Legion of Superheroes and when issue number four of Who's Who came out were on uh, the Baxter series number 11. And then, of course, that repin series, The Tales of Legion um, 324. So if you want more on Color Kid, you could check out the Legion of Super bloggers or he even appeared in the Legion of Superheroes cartoon. Hm. Um, very cool. All right, Rob, I think the next entry is pretty darn cool. Yes, the Crime Syndicate. Or the Crime Syndicate of America, as it's sometimes yeah. called here, it's just called Crime Syndicate. It's drawn by Paris Collins and Terry Austin. Strangely enough, it does not list their first appearance, which mm-hmm. is Justice League of America number 29. Uh, again, I just pulled that off the top of my head, stuff I know. Uh, Nerd <laughs> ba- player. Yeah, basically. But, ba- you know, for anyone who doesn't know, they are from Earth 3, where basically there are no superheroes except sort of one, and only the these five superpowered characters except they're villains and they are you know evil versions of superman wonder woman flash batman and green lantern except in this case they're johnny quick owlman power ring superwoman and ultraman and don't think i was not really mad that aquaman was not represented here <laughs> on the crime set again as a child when i was reading jla i'm like why the f- doesn't aquaman get an get an evil version of himself it's very annoying that's uh um, that's one of those asked and answered questions. But anyway, go ahead. All right. So uh and and famously uh they are all killed very early on. In fact, the Serpent is showing nothing but that of the worlds being destroyed in the crisis on Infinite Earths. And you know, they're they're all bad guys and you know, they're in later stories they would kind there was a graphic novel that was just about the crime syndicate. Um and you know, in later stories as as comic got darker they would lean in a little more on the villainous side of these guys. But in in the days of when I was reading them, they were just crooks. They mm-hmm. weren't murderers and stuff like that. They, they were, yeah, they were super power and they were bad guys, but they weren't, they weren't like massacring people or anything like that. They That's, were controlling the planet in kind yes. of a totalitarian way. Though. That is, that is true. Well, okay. well, we'll, Hey, we'll be enjoying that soon. So, I mean, you know, it, <laughs> uh, I'm just saying they weren't, they weren't like just slaughtering people. I guess yes. is my. They weren't. Mal- they weren't malicious. Yeah. Well, again, well, you I, they were. Well, okay. I guess. Yeah, I'm making a distinction without a difference. I guess, but I guess the yeah. point I'm trying to make is, they die. They all die in the beginning of Crisis on Infinite Earths, and I kind of remember feeling a little like Marv Wolfman gave them a kind of weird dignity mm-hmm. in their death, which I thought was interesting. You know, it wasn't like. Like, ah, these villains are dying. Who cares? It actually made them somewhat noble because yeah. they were facing their death. They knew what was happening and they, they sort of did their best to fight it off as much as they could. And I remember just finding that somewhat touching that Marv Wolfman in just a couple of like one page managed to make you feel kind of bad that the crime syndicate mm-hmm. is dying because, you know, the whole planet's being destroyed. 
they were trying to save their world. I mean, I don't think they were necessarily trying to save it for the plebes. They were trying to save it for themselves, right. probably. But that wasn't really on the page. You know, that's right. something you had to know. They were trying to save their planet. And they look enough like the Justice League that you could feel something. You know, like, oh, wow. And, of course, it was drawn by Perez. Was, right, that know. helps. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. But I got to talk about this entry, though. Dude, I think this is one of the most gorgeous entries around. It is so beautiful. The faces on the left-hand side. I mean, oh, my gosh, they look fantastic. And, like... I don't think I've ever seen, at least in the pre-crisis era, Owlman look cool. But Paris Collins pulled it off. Owlman, tough to make him look cool with the big right. owl mask on his head. Right. And Paris Collins made him look awesome. Uh, and the power ring looks so creepy and gaunt, you know. It just looks great. Um, now, I do have some... Uh, I, and I, oh, okay. So, about the text. I love the parallel stuff. You know, like, uh, Christopher Columbus discovered Europe, you know, and things like that. And, you know, John Wilk Booth was president, shot by Abraham Lincoln, and, you know, stuff like that. I love that kind of stuff. But a couple things I noticed, like they talk about Owlman being a master planner. And I started thinking, you know, Owlman was kind of like the Bat God before Batman was. <laughs> I mean, it, if you really think about it, he kind of was. It's interesting. Um, and then, I, like you, I'm surprised there were no recruits at any point. Like, they went for so long. I mean, from 1964 to 1985, yet never an Aquaman, Hawkman, Adam, none of them. Which was, yeah, yeah. you really think they would have done something with that because they did appear many times. Uh, now, is this the first time we have ever seen this logo? Uh, I think so. Yeah, they never got their own logo as far as I can. I mean, it's obviously it's a version of the classic Justice League logo with the right. stars on the side and the, this kind of like uh, like the satellite logo, basically. Yeah, yeah, the satellite era logo. So it's that mm-hmm. version of it, but it's on on a slanted angle and stuff like that. But yeah, I don't think we've seen it before. It looks great. I really, yeah, really it's like terrific, it. Terrific. So uh, yeah. I do want to say something about the art yep. though. You mentioned Paris Collins, and it's mm-hmm. ink by Terry Austin, which I said. Yeah. Paris Collins' artwork is very round. And okay. that, that, I don't mean that in any sort of bad way. It just is. His characters are very rounded. Mm-hmm. His, his, that's just simply the way he renders things. Yeah. Terry Austin is the opposite of that. He's very kind of hard lines. So they make an interesting combination where you can see the bones of Paris Collins here, but you could definitely, it doesn't look like to me any other Paris Collins artwork I've ever seen because uh, of the pairing with Austin. Cause Austin has very hard, tends to be very straight lines in his inking and he's merging it with someone who has a very round penciling style. And it's, I think it's really quite attractive. I I think it came out exceptionally sharp. I mean, like Ultraman's never really done much for me. And yet here he looks fantastic. Um, All right. I actually have this in my notes and everything. So I'm just going to say it like, what does it say about me shag that I think, especially like here, Superwoman, like I think she's a lot sexier than Wonder Woman. Is that weird? Like, do other people feel that way too, or am I just out in left field here? Do you have a thing for like the stripe, the gray stripe in the hair? Is Maybe it's the it? stripe. Maybe it's the you know dominance thing. Not that I'm into that, but it's just like you know, I, I like a strong-willed woman. Maybe that's what it is. I don't know. But uh, like even later years, like the, the, the in the creepy years, I've still kind of got a thing for Superwoman. I don't know. Anyway, it's you it, need maybe, to examine yourself there. Yeah, maybe, it's it's making me ask questions. Um. So all right. So they die in crisis, right? Which we, and by the way, that serpent's amazing. Like you mentioned, they die in crisis. And then they're they're only really gone for well, I mean, seven years is how long it takes for them to create a crime syndicate in post crisis in 1992, and it was awful. It was terrible. Uh, they were like from Quard. It was it was really terrible. Uh, then around 2000, you mentioned that graphic novel. That's when they start bringing the crime syndicate back as they've traditionally been known. That's when Grant Morrison does that. So you get crime syndicate again, like different, they just keep bringing him back in different iterations. You get him into the year 2000, 2007, 2013, 2020, 2021. All of these are like different reimaginings of the crime syndicate. It's crazy. 
Um, and actually, they had a miniseries not too long ago. They did a crime syndicate miniseries about them on Earth 3 and, and what it's like for them to be the boss. And it was fun, and it was a little bit tongue-in-cheek. Like, editor notes were pretty funny. And um, I, I recommend everyone check it out. It's good stuff. <laughs> so uh, for more, uh, you know, they, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but they did a DVD, or nowadays it's streaming, uh, animated movie called Justice League Crisis on Two Earths, where they fought the crime syndicate. It was pretty good. Uh, they've appeared in Batman Brave and the Bold. They've been in a bunch of video games. They've been in all kinds of places. So... Awesome stuff. I love this entry so much. All right. Up next is Pharaoh Lad, another Legion character for you, Rob. Uh, this, <laughs> this comes from uh, issue number eight of Who's Who. Art is by Dan Day and Larry Malstead, which is kind of an interesting combination because Dan Day didn't really do a lot of DC stuff. Uh, he was known mainly for like his Sherlock Holmes adaptations, Aztec Ace and stuff like that. So I think this may have been one of those opportunities where they reached out to independent books to, to pull in someone. Uh, and I knew, I know he did some, like I think he did detective comics a little bit here and there, but he wasn't a DC mainstay. And it's sort of interesting. Like the Pharaoh Lad is, he's in the foreground, right? And he's kind of of like got his arm up like Judd Nelson in in uh, Breakfast Club or something. I'm not sure, but he's also leaning on the serpent, which is kind of cool. He's leaning on the metallic rivets of the serpent, and behind him are several panels, kind of showing his origin, him and his brother, him taking the the bomb to stop Superboy from doing it, him going to destroy the Sun Eater, and then a close up of his face, still with the mask on though. But and so it, the serpent tells the story, which is kind of cool, and I like the riveted bullets. It's just an odd, and I don't know whether it's in the mixture of the arts. It's just a bit odd because like. Feralad has sort of the musculature uh, that you would see in the Bronze Age, but everything else looks kind of Silver Age. You know, <laughs> like the the panels look very Silver Age. Um, I don't know. What do you think of the art on this one? It's good. It's good. He is ripped. He is super. Oh ripped. yeah. Uh, and yeah, him holding onto the the panel border is kind of interesting. Uh, I'll tell you. I mean, again, it's a Legion character, but we're bound to get a bunch of them because there were nineteen thousand Legion entries. <laughs> uh, I think I have read. A grand total of one Pharaoh Lad story. Oh, really? Because okay. any any Legion comic that I ever read, which weren't many, mm-hmm. was long after he died, mm-hmm. and that's what he was famous for. It kind of in, in you know for a casual reader like myself that oh he's the one of the Legion members that that died. Yeah. And I think he, they they reprinted a Legion story in a Legion Treasury, and of course I own that because it was a Treasury, and he's in that one. Okay, so that might be the single red, <laughs> but in the ser- the serpent is very Kirby-ish. I think yeah. on purpose. It's very very blocked anatomy, and I think that's kind of what they're going for. And then you said to get the main figure, it is much more again rounded and kind of more modern looking. But I think that's what Dan Day is is going for. And we see the basically uh, him as he's about to die. We see him in the, right. his final final move to save the universe. Because the stick is that you know, the Sun Eaters come and Superboy is going to take the bomb to stop him. And Pharaoh Led's like, no, Superboy, you can't die. I can. And he knocks out Superboy to take the bomb himself and dies. Now, it's interesting you said that you've only you've read that story because it's actually been retold a, a billion times now because they keep rebooting the Legion. Every time they reboot the Legion, it's seen, and Cisco may correct me here, but it seems like they always manage to squeeze in the Pharaoh Lad story. I mean, they even had it in the, um, the event, uh, DC had a big event called Final Night, which was the whole thing about the Sun Eater and Pharaoh Lad. I mean, they, they keep going back to the well on this one. Now, I had forgotten he had a brother, uh, that had the same affliction as him, but I, I just gotta mention this. This cracks me up. The last thing in the, in the, in, in the, the final entry- panel is, the final paragraph is insane. This <laughs> and, Andrew's brother Douglas. <laughs> was unable to take the shock of his brother's death and remained under the care of Brainiac 5 before vanishing 
into a parallel universe. <laughs> as, as you do. Right, only in a comic, right? That's, only in a comic is that going to make sense. Uh, now, the whole idea here is is that him and his brother, uh, they were horribly disfigured, and uh, they had these non-human faces, and they wear these metal masks all the time uh, to cover their hideous face, which I'm thinking by the 30th century, they kind of had something to, either either surgery or people will just accept you. I don't know which, but either way, they wear these masks to hide their faces all the time, and they find out he has the ability to turn his body into living iron. And so uh, he joins the Legion, and then he's gone within uh, seven issues. So he joins the team, and he's dead seven issues later. <laughs> now, do you know the story, uh, the behind-the-scenes on this character? What, what do you mean? Like, why they got rid of him so fast? Yeah. So no, the, I don't. The very, very short, 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 short version, and I'm sure someone's going to correct the specifics of it, but Jim Shooter created the character, and he wanted the character to be black. And Mort Weinzinger said, no, we'll lose our readers in the South. And Jim Shooter was so pissed, he's like, screw it, this character's out of there, and got rid of the character because he was mad about that. Again, I'm sure there's more detail to it, folks. That's the urban legend version of the story. But, so yeah, um, that's that's part of the reason he got rid of him so quick was just because he was ticked off because they were so backwards back then, you know? I have to reconcile the idea in my head that uh, Mort Weinzinger co-created Aquaman, for which I owe him, but he was also a really terrible person. Yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> God. Terrible, mean-spirited, nasty guy. I, you hear a lot of stories about it. So yeah. now, if I didn't say so, this is from Who's Who, issue number eight. And uh, for more, again, check out Legion of Superbloggers. So, all right. Uh, up next is, what do you got? The Golden Glider, one Woo-hoo! of Flash's rogues galleries, uh, rogues gallery characters first appeared in Flash number 250. Uh, she is, uh, Lisa Snart. Tough name. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, she would later go on to, uh, she's the brother, she's the, excuse me, sister of Len Snart. And, mm-hmm. uh, you might know who that is, obviously Captain Cold. Uh, she, and she goes on to be in a relationship with Heatwave because, you know, no, not? Not, he- not Heatwave. Oh no, not he with the top. I'm sorry. Yep. Not the yes. top. Um, she has since, since this listing, I'm going to repeating myself, made multiple, uh, <laughs> outside comics appearances. She's been done. She's been in live action. Mm-hmm. She is on the Flash TV show. Played uh, by a uh, Peyton List. No, not that uh, Peyton List. The other Peyton List. There's actually two of them. Peyton, who's Peyton? I don't know okay. either one. There's, there's two actresses named Peyton List that are, really? that are both famous for being beautiful. Yes. I, okay. Uh, and she's appeared in the Harley Quinn cartoon series, yes, apparently, yes. where she is the paramour of Kite Man. Yes. Which is just an amazing thing to say. Um, <laughs> now, you know, I think probably to, uh, by the way, the drawing is by Irv Novick, the underrated Irv Novick. Yeah. It's by Dick Giordano. Irv, Irv Novick had a long run on Flash. That's part of the reason he probably did this. Figure skaters, I think, aren't famous outside of the Olympics. Like nobody else really pays. I, I, well, Hold on. I don't want to say nobody pays attention to them, but I think the average person doesn't know any of the name of a figure skater until they watch the Olympics. But figure skating, like America really came to kind of dominate figure skating in the 70s. Flash 250 is 1977, just for, just to give you a perspective. There you go. Yeah, right in the center. So I think that's part of it was the idea of like, oh, let's take something that's kind of in the news or in contemporary American culture and make it a villain. I think maybe in, in more modern times, you're kind of like, really? The golden gold? Like what? You know, like, <laughs> oh, what is that about? But in the seventies, it was a big thing. I mean, again, figure skating has always been a big thing at the Olympics. It's always one of kind of the marquee events. It's the only time I ever watch figure skating. I'd say I don't, but I, but I tend to watch all the Olympics, but that's, she's, you know, of the moment. That's kind of what she is. And so, um, she's got this, you know, as you might imagine, gold colored, uh, 
figure skating outfit and she's got like the muffs on the end of her sleeve. But of course, she's got a domino mask because she that's she has to. And we see her in the serpent uh, talking to her brother. We see her skating away and then we see her zapping the flesh. And she's got the beautiful face because uh, this is the first serpent we've seen in at least these entries that that has someone without their mask in the background because yes. that was always the intention. The serpent was you're supposed to show the person without their mask, and she looks beautiful. Because I mean, Herb Novik, like you said, is underrated. But if you want to have a beautiful woman, you put Dick, Dick Giorgiano on top of it. So it's a great combination. It's a perfect idea for this one. So for me, like, yeah, the figure skating idea is kind of goofy. But for me, I'm like, I'm a little biased because she was in some of my earliest DC comics actually. Because I was buying once I got into Firestorm before I got into DC proper, I bought the fire the flat backups and she was in some of those flash backups and so like she's been part of my con- dc con um dna for a while and the more i read this entry the more i kind of fell in love with the idea not just the 1970s figure skating idea but they combined two perfect things they said okay her brother is captain cold all right so give her some cold powers she skates on ice i get that then her boyfriend was the top which spins figure skaters spin i mean it's hmm. really a very clever melding of two Flash's villains to create a new one, especially, you know, a, a, a rogue that comes around in 1977. There's not many of those that come along later on. Most of them were from right out of the gate. So I, I figured, I, I think that was a very clever creation by whoever did that when they created her. So I, I like it. Um, I, I do think the image of her and Captain Cold in the, in the Serpent looks a little too romantic. Um, a little you know, uh, Luke and Leia kind of thing. May- <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> Uh, but no, I think it's a great entry. The, the, it, the writing is not my favorite. It does go, it does one of, this is one of the things I don't like when who's who is when a writer does the entry and he goes, this happened and then this happened and then this happened. And that's, this is definitely an entry like that. They're just recapping all of her various appearances, which is not that interesting. I like who's who normally when it's more like the spirit of the character. So, uh, but I think it's beautifully drawn and, uh, it's a fun character. So at this point, uh, you know, she would have stopped appearing in Flash because Flash was over because uh, yep. of Crisis. So last time they'd seen her was 1982. And I'm so impressed with you doing the research on the Flash TV show in Harlequin. Look at you, man. <laughs> Thank you, Wikipedia. Well, yeah. but <laughs> All right. We ready to move on? Mm-hmm. All right. Next entry is... <gasps> Be still my beating heart. Hawk Girl by Steve freaking rude or steve the dude rude is what i should say oh my gosh this is from who's who number 10 and folks this is beautiful so they what they've done is they've squeezed all the text in the far left hand quarter of the page and you got a almost a full page three quarters image of uh shiera sanders hall as hawk girl and damn she looks beautiful because of steve rude i mean it's really this whole thing's great because it looks classy um it's subdued and yet still works, manages to be sexy without being overtly sexy. And then the serpent has got her like a very Hollywood starlet pose. In fact, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's based on a famous actress. You've got the, uh, her and Hawkman chasing the gentleman ghost. And here's the cool thing. This is a brilliant, like people read in a Z, if you've ever heard, people read in a Z format, a Z fashion. They go left to right. They go diagonally down left and then they read right here. And this whole thing's drawn that way. You look at her face in the foreground. Then you go to the serpent of her face. Then you literally follow Hawkman, Hawkwoman, and Gentleman Ghost down the, the the angle of the diagonal of the Z, and then you see Gentleman Ghost at the bottom. And it is just a brilliantly composed image. What do you think, buddy? Well, it's Steve Rude. You know, uh, normally I would question Hawk Girl not flying. She's just standing here, mm-hmm. unlike the other three Hawk characters, which we're not covering in this episode. They're all flying, but. It, the, the, the serpent, as you just pointed out, is so well done. And the flying sequence of them flying upside down towards Gentleman Ghost, who is 
got this amazing kind of body position where he's rearing back mm-hmm. and he's about to hit them with his cane. I guess he can't actually really see the what's the at the end of it is under her foot. But that it, it's also beautifully composed that it just doesn't bother me that she's just standing there. She looks she looks great. I mean, it's it's Steve Rude again, one of the greatest guys ever to do. It. But yeah, she looks very forties starlady. I mean, of course, that's from that's the time mm-hmm. she's from is is from the golden age of comics. So yeah, it's an absolutely superb thing. I remember buying this comic and getting, and I always loved Steve Rude. I read Nexus. Mm-hmm. I remember getting to this and going. <clears throat> Like, oh my God, this is so gorgeous. And I yeah. love, I really love the shot of, I mentioned the shot of them flying, the gentleman goes, there is almost no detail inside the figures. They are right. almost just outlines and it just works beautifully. I, I, this is one of those ones where you say, why didn't they do a Hawkman, Hawkgirl book drawn by Steve Rude? I mean, right, I mean you right. can't because Steve Rude is busy. He doesn't want to work for DC doing a monthly book. He's doing his own thing. But just this is like just this. This is the only one we get. But yeah, that's it. God, it's amazing. I love it. I um, it, it, interestingly for the 1940s, she has an exposed tummy. Like I feel like now her belly button's covered, which I know was a big deal for whatever reason back then. But I just I felt like that's like wow, that's a little risque for back then, I guess. But um, I don't know. Um, so they talk about in the entry, you know, her being the reincarnation of the Egyptian pharaoh's uh queen, right? Uh, Shiera. So I don't know when that was introduced i don't know if that was right out of the gate with hawkman and hawkgirl or that came yes. later it, no it it's in the first one yeah okay all right and then here's i have a, I have a question for you so you know her children or her child i should say is a uh, silver scarab right and they've got this ado- adopted or grand godson uh northwind so why did hawkman and hawkgirl and maybe that's the answer get two legacy characters in the in the infinity whereas like nobody else did is it because there was two Hawkman and Hawkgirl? I don't know. I would have to ask Roy Thomas. He'd probably give you a very long answer, but you'd have to ask. Okay. Him. I didn't know if you know. And then here's another one. Was Hawkman and Hawkgirl the only crime fighting duo that were dating back then in the golden age? <sighs> I couldn't think of anyone. And I'm sure someone's going to go, oh, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, Bullet Man and Bullet Woman. Okay, but they're not these. Everyone two. knows the Red Bee's famous girlfriend. No, that's his sidekick. <laughs> Hornet. Uh, oh my god. Oh, that's uh, terrible, Rob. <laughs> uh but no, yeah, I can't I can't I can't think of any I couldn't either example, really. I mean hmm. you got you got Alan Scott and, and Harlequin, but they're not da- you know, they're not dating and they're villain, but anyway, yeah. Yeah. And then Batman, the inter- and, Batman and Catwoman ish kind of not Batman really and, Batman and Robin. Uh, anyway, um the entry also goes into my beloved Ian Carcool. Uh, on why they have stayed young all these years, which is, gets repeated over and over and over in Who's Who. But so, uh, her, the, the, for her first appearance as Shiera is in Flash Comics number one from 1940. Then her first, it's interesting. I found conflicting information. Um, according to Who's Who, it says her first appearance as Hawkgirl was Flash Comics number 24. According to the internets, the World Wide Web, they say that the first appearance of Hawkgirl is All Star Comics number five. So I think somebody's been researching release dates or something. It, it must be like sort of like Wonder Woman's first appearance in um, Sensation Comics versus something else or whatever. Like All Star there... number eight, Sensation yeah. Comics number one. Or There's an like argument that. there to be had too. I don't know. Hmm. Well, um, this is from issue number ten of of Who's Who. So at the time, Crisis on Earth number nine was on the shelf, and Infinity Inc. number twenty one was on the shelf. So I'm sure you could find Hawk Girl in one of those at that point. Now, if you want more on Hawk Girl. 
there are lots of places to look. Uh, you can check out, the, again, the JSA Presents, or A World on Fire, or the Earth 2 podcast. Uh, you can check out the old Being Cardio Hall blog by our buddy Luke Giaconetti. It's not current anymore, but there's lots of great older information. And if you want to see her on TV... You could check out Legends of Tomorrow. Now, some of these are you get a little blurry between Hawk Girl and Hawk Woman, but either way, Legends of Tomorrow, she was an ongoing character for the first year. Smallville, she was on Smallville. She was part of the DC Superhero Girls. She was Justice League Unlimited. Um, Star Girl. I mean, she's been everywhere. She is part of the of the DC firmament now. Everyone knows who she is. So there you go. Amazing. One other, one other thing I want to point out, just as a side mm-hmm. note to this listing, as you mentioned. As Shara, she first appears in Flash Comics number one. Mm-hmm. So earlier this year, actually right at the beginning of the year, uh, we covered over on Treasury Cast, we covered Flash Comics number one, Ooh. famous first edition with my guest, uh, Gabriel Hardman, the comic book writer and artist, Gabriel Hardman. And we, we noticed that in a single comic book, Flash Comics number one, there is the first appearances of Flash, Hawkman, what will be Hawk Girl and Johnny Thunder? Oh gosh! Not, not to mention the Whip, who you know, not lesser than those other characters, but st- and Hop and Hop Harrigan. So radio, like, radio star. Like how much IP <laughs> still to this day living off of, thanks to the creativity in one single comic. That's amazing. Published like. You know, imagine if you said, I'm going to publish a comic book and four of the characters that make their debut will still be published in some form 70 years later, with one of them being the headliner of a movie and a TV show simultaneously. You'd be like, that's gift. What? You know, (laughs) it's just unreal that like a single book can change a, I mean, obviously action number one or whatever, but like, you know, Flash Comics number one, how much DC was able to, to build off that for 70 years that's insane absolutely i hadn't i hadn't put all that together that is absolutely insane yeah i mean action comics number one we got conga bill there right Um, (laughs) of course but wow that's cool i've never read flash comics number one i guess i should sounds like it's fun it's fun all right um i'd rather sit here and talk about hawk girl quite frankly than go on to from issue 14 the manhawks these are a personal bugabear of mine man i uh, I can't stand these guys. So, all right. They are the Manhawks. All right. And first of all, it's illustrated by Murphy Anderson. And what he's created here is beautiful. All right. It's absolutely stunning. Uh, it is, it's a giant hawk like creature, man sized. It's massive. And he, it's artistically beautiful. The bird parts look great, but he is wearing a cloth mask over his head, which is shaped in a humanoid shape, a white cloth mask. And he's shooting eye beams out of his eyes. And he's got this weird red kind of mohawk thing which makes him look ridiculous, okay? If it just been a giant bird, it would have been a thousand times better. Anyway, in the Serpent, you've got, um, in blue, you've got Hawkman fighting a manhawk, and you've got Adam Strange fighting a manhawk, and, it, you know, artistically, it's beautifully rendered. Let's talk about that first. What do you think? You're all, you did not point out that there's also shooting freaking laser beams out of his eyes. <laughs> so, yeah, th- th- this is just cornering the market on Goofy. A giant bird with a human head, but it's an alien head, but it's got a mask, and he's shooting laser beams out of his eyes. And in the background, they're taking on Adam Strange and Hawkman. Yeah, this is just, you know, this was just, look, we got it. What what do these kids want for a dime? Let's just throw it on the wall and see what sticks. Uh, Cool. You know, I mean, great name, Manhawks. That's a great name for a a, a villain character, you know, but yeah, it is goofy as all get out. 
It's just the mask. If you took, or if you got rid of the stupid human mask where you could actually see the folds of the cloth, they're just hanging there. How like did they a, put it on? How did they like put a, a like mask a, on like with a, wings? It's like a dicky for your head. Um, <laughs> it just looks stupid. But yeah, how, you're right. How do they put it on? So the idea is these large hawks that fly through space, by the way, with their wings and their feathers. Yeah, let that sink in for a minute. They fly <laughs> through space with their wings and feathers. Um, they are this, you know, uh, war, warmongering race. They go from planet to planet and just steel crap and they're large hawks and they here's where it gets weird to instill fear on the the the, the populace they wear masks that are supposed to resemble the dominant life forms okay so in this case they're attacking planets with humanoids so they're wearing this humanoid mask i don't think we've ever seen them wear anything else like i'd like to see them go to a xenomorph planet and wear like an hr geiger hat headpiece (laughs) is what i'd like to see um apparently the (sighs) i-beams Oh, now I'm sighing. Uh, they can shift their target to another dimension uh, just because it can. Oh, the Silver Age. So wacky, so scientific. Is that, is that the dimension that Farrell's brother is in? Is that, is that <laughs> maybe, maybe that's how he got there. Maybe that's how he got there. <laughs> um, but ultimately, this becomes the origin of the Thanagarian police force. Uh, they To make things even better, their origin's tied to Hyathis. Oh, joy. Um, again, I'm sorry. It, this just... Forgive me, everyone. You can't have joy from everything, right? We knew we were going to get some mediocre ones. Again, artistically, it's beautiful. I really, uh, I think Murphy Anderson drew the hell out of what he was given. The assignment was do this, and he did a great job with it. Uh, it's just not anything favorite of mine. So the first appearance is Brave and the Bold number 43 from 1962. So that's before the team-ups were happening. That's like when Hawkman was still running in Brave and the Bold. So they introduced him pretty, the you know, Manhawks pretty early. At this point, um, they had last been seen in, at least as far as I could tell, World's Finest number 261 from 1980, so five years before. Uh, and sadly, they did not get wiped out in the crisis. So, Oh, now that's meat-spirited. Really? really? That's, that was the kick in the, in the nuts with me <laughs> saying that? Not, nothing, nothing else I've said here? <laughs> well, if you want more on the Manhawks, go over to uh, Being Carter Hall. I'm sure Luke had something to say about him at some point. So, <laughs> You got anything on the Manhawks, buddy? No, I'm sure there's a Twitter feed. Let's talk about Manhawks or something, but I haven't been bothered to find it yet. Yeah. Well, all right. Let's put that one behind us. Let's go to something even better. Rob, what's the next entry? Good Lord. We are stuck with all these bird characters. Northwind, of course, from All-Star Squadron. And Chag, don't think I didn't notice that when the randomizer gave us these listings, you gave yourself Hawkgirl and you assigned to be Northwind. Glad you picked up on that. That was not a mistake. No. Uh, Everyone knows he is the... The adopted son of the Hawks. No, Godson. Uh, Godson. 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 Well, okay. Get Godson, I guess. Yeah. He first appeared in Ulster Squadron number 25 as part of Infinity Inc. He's a hybrid of human and Feverian races. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he possesses natural feathered wings and has the ability to fly. He can also communicate with birds and thus get them to do his bidding. I like the way they said that bidding. <laughs> bidding. Look, I-, I loved Infinity Inc. Um, I, especially the first 10 of the, that book, just as drawn by Ordway, like that book just rocked. And each of the, I would argue most of the individual Infinity Inc. members are pretty weak, but collectively they're great. Like I love them all together. So like we pick on Northwind because he seems kind of doofy and the costume is a little, he's got again, like this blue domino mask, but he's got, you know, feathers on his head and, and he's got these rocking these sandals. It's, it's really, Doofy look, but when he was part of Infinity Inc., I loved him. And in this listing, drawn by, again, Jerry Ordway and Mike Bakalin, he looks great. And then the Sir print is 
beautiful. We see him without his mask. We see the futuristic, uh, not futuristic. We see the, the sort of, you know, alt city that he's from, the hidden city that he's from. We see Hawkman. So the listing looks gorgeous. So, um, there's a reason you were given Northwind because you like Infinity Inc. I never warmed to it. Um, mm. I've, I've, I've never warmed. I've, I've individual issues here and there. Like, I'm the guy that likes the McFarlane issues. Um, I Ugh. just, I know Infinity Inc. never warmed for me, but I will say, you know, again, illustrated by Jerry Ordway and Mike McClellan looks gorgeous. And my favorite thing in the piece actually is in the Serpent on the bottom right hand corner, the picture of Nord, uh, Norda without his mask. Yeah. He just looks awesome. Like, if he'd look like that all the time. It might have had it as interesting. He just, he is actually a pretty cool concept. The whole idea of a hybrid between a human and a bird as a superhero, it's actually pretty cool. Um, I just never felt like it was executed very interestingly. And that's the, that's where the real problem with Northwood comes in. It's just he was, no one ever did anything to make him interesting. Like, I'm sure there must be some good stories to tell somewhere in there, but it just, uh, it didn't really fly. Uh, but so well done. Oh gosh, that was an accident. Actually, um, it's interesting too. Like you know, at the time, like we forget that the JSA or the Golden Age, whatever you want to say, was strong enough to support two monthly books at this point. That's phenomenal. I mean, that doesn't happen very often. I mean, I guess you could say the the JSA book in the '90s and Starman, or JSA and the JSA All Stars. We kind of supported two books at that point, but it, it you know it's been a long time since the JSA was that strong, and uh, it's, it's a lot to be said for it, even if it was Infinity Inc. So um, you already mentioned his first appearance at this point. When uh, this is from issue number seventeen of Who's Who, by the way, Infinity Inc. was on issue number twenty eight, and also the same month was Last Days of the JSA. Ugh. That, 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 that's still. <laughs> stings i think for everybody so folks again if you want to uh if, if you want more on northwind and i don't know why you would jsa presents earth 2 podcast or being carter hall again all places where you can find out more about norda or you know by the way get... by the way northwind's logo looks like uh the logo to like an airline i was thinking a gas station but okay yeah i mean the, just because everything's kind of going quickly when you go to a gas station but yeah you're right that does look like an airline you know you could probably ask kichi baker he could probably give you a dissertation because he loves the infinity Ink stuff too so all right, up next is The Persuader from issue 17 of Who's Who, drawn by Ron Wilson and Pablo Marcos. What you've got in the foreground is The Persuader standing there like a statue. Just <laughs> straight up, very minimal lines, almost like a filmation character sheet. I mean, Was this really... commissioned for Ohatmu? Like, what I, happened it's, here? It's very bland. Um, it, again, look at the... There's very little line work on it. I mean, it looks almost like a like a, an animation cell... You know, character design. You know, maybe I'm super thinking friends. more like a coloring book. Yeah, I mean, it's very simplistic, which is weird because Ron Wilson's a pretty, as I thought, like a pretty dynamic artist normally. Um, in the background, though, you do see the Persuader. You know, taking a swing at, um, I think that's Element Lad. It's kind of hard to tell. Uh, and then he's smashing up a, a rock face, and then you see him running with Emerald, uh, em- Emerald Empress, I guess is what, uh, or Emerald Eye. And then you see him without his mask and his enormous freaky forehead. So, <laughs> um. The strange thing is there there was a run of these. So like the, the the he's part of the Fatal Five from the Legion of Supers. These are villains, by the way. And these lackluster poses, Emerald Eye was also kind of lackluster. Now she wasn't straight on, she had a little bit of an angle to her, but it was very plain, very non-action-y. Um Therok, who was another character, was pretty boring too. So I, it's almost like they were trying to make all the Fatal Five look a certain way. But then they broke the mold with Mano and Validus, which was very strange. So I don't know. It's, it's a, I don't get it. Like, obviously, as a Legion fan, I'm sure you'll love this. Like, what do you think? Yeah, it's, this is pretty dumb. This is really the first entry in this whole book 
or this whole episode, I should say, that just fails visually. I think the yeah. rest of them all are either superb or at the very least, very good. This one is just like, really? Like the guy, the, he's kind of cool looking. He's got this yep. big axe and, you know, I mean, like there's something to be done here. And yeah, Ron Wilson's a fine artist and Pablo Marcus is a, is a perfectly good inker. I, you know, I don't have like a lot of opinions about his work, but they're both highly professional artists. And this is just really, really boring yeah. so yeah i don't and it's a lot of dead space and yeah it's it, it, i mean the guy's got this giant axe he could be swinging at you and it just instead he's just standing there so pretty pretty boring which is weird because when you read the entry i mean he's like insanely violent you know he is one of the most powerful criminals in the united planets and he's very very violent with this atomic axe and you just think i want to see violence now you do get two shots of violence in the surprint but it just doesn't carry through now the atomic axe and i i'm 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 not going to do it, but I would be willing to bet I went back and had this exact same conversation 11 years ago or whatever when we covered this entry. But like that thing looks to me like it belongs to the Atomic Knights. Like I actually did some research this time to see if he, you know, there's someone, you know, did some continuity shenanigans and said that he got it from the, you know, the whatever the, 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 the Atomic Knight era. Cause it looks like an Atomic Knight axe. Am I crazy here or, or what? Uh, yeah, I'd say, yeah, I, I could see I could make that connection. Yeah. Apparently, I just made that crap up. So, um, <laughs> so the whole idea behind the Fatal Five is it's a terrible idea. So the Legion, once again, the Sun Eater, right, has been is an issue. So the Legion gather these five people who are villains to help them fight the Sun Eater. They think this is a great idea. So all the Legion did was create their own worst enemies. They they actually brought the five people together who go on to go, oh, this is kind of cool. We should form a super group called the Fatal Five. And the Legion are actually the ones who gathered them together. So way to create your own problems, Legion. Awesome. Uh, his first appearance was in Adventure Comics number 352 from 1967. And at this point, when issue 17 of Who's Who was out, Legion of Superheroes and Baxter Street was on number 24. And Rob, wait, let's, let's, let's roll, take a roll of the dice. You know, we keep joking about these people being stars. Do you think he's ever made it into extended uh, media anywhere? I'm sure he has at this point. Do you there think was he's a been in cartoon? Do you think he's been in live action? Uh, by I'm going to go by your question, your leading question, counselor. That yes, he he has been. He absolutely has been. Smallville of all places. Wow. Uh, yes, he's, I know. Oh he, and he's been in the Legion. That show really got. <laughs> really should have reached in in those later seasons. Ten seasons, you got to do something. <laughs> and it's Superman when he's a boy, so Legion makes sense, right? Anyway, uh, Legion is a superheroes cartoon as well. Obviously, uh, Justice League Unlimited, he's in there too. So, uh, or check out again Legion of Super Ploggers. All right, uh, who's next? Wow. Okay, uh, Ragdoll, the Flash villain, first appeared in Flash Comics number thirty-six, the Golden Age Flash villain. So this was one of these times where I actually genuinely learned something about the character because the the only encounter I ever had with Ragdoll, by the way, here he's listed as the Ragdoll. Yep. I've never seen him called that. I was just when people have you know same say his name in a story, they just say Ragdoll. And it's, um, and it's two words here, too. I've always seen it just as one word, I thought. That's it. Um, you, anyway, you should mention the artist's name, by the way. Oh, yeah, oh, yes. Drawn by Steve Lealoha. It's a marvelous piece. Again, this was kind of like you were talking about uh, Dan Day. Steve Lealoha, at this point, had not done a lot of DC work. He really had been more of an independent guy and did some mm. stuff for Marvel. But so DC was getting him to do this piece. And it's terrifically drawn. It looks a little bit like a children's book. Kind of like a more like um maybe not children's book old timey comic strip almost like Little Nemo in Slumberland kind of feel to it or or more fittingly like uh, Raggedy Ann and Andy obviously because well, yeah it looks like that's what they're going for but anyway the the only knowledge I had of this character when I was a kid was from the 
Secret Society of Supervillains three part. Ah, uh, right, right. JLA 195 through 197, which is a you know, drawn by Jerry, uh, drawn by George Perez, written by Jerry Conway. Classic. And they give no indication in that story that the ragdoll or ragdoll is a guy in a suit. Mm. Because the way Perez draws it, this really cupid doll face contorts and has facial expressions. Oh. So I just thought, okay, he's just like a really weird dude. I don't know why he looks this way, but he does. Now, his power is that he is like triple jointed. So he makes him a contortionist, which means he can fit in tiny spaces and hide. And that's how his criminal career gets started. But you never see him without a mask on. And mm-hmm. so I just thought, boy, he's a really, he's creepy. Mm-hmm. Because why does a guy look like this? Like, what did, was he, did he fall into a vat of chemical? Like, what is this? But in this listing, now they don't specifically mention it, but you see him without his mask on in the serpent. So it's like, oh, okay, he's a contortionist and he puts this costume on, but they never explain that in the JLA story. So I, for the years, I always thought he's just a really weird looking guy, but no, he's just a kind of standard looking guy, but he's in this creepy costume. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they talk about here how he put on a human sized ragdoll and uh, that's what he said. I didn't ever, I didn't see my exposure to him is different. Um, I'm certainly, I, you know, you hear about him in here and there in in that JSA, JLA thing. But for me, I'm more post crisis guy. And in the post crisis, they made the ragdoll creepy as hell. Uh, in the Starman comic, they reveal like he is. Like almost oh, not Joker level, but the same kind of Joker mania. Like he, when you mention him, people are like, "Oh God, that guy's creepy." Like someone's wearing a ragdoll T-shirt. It's like, why would you wear the face of a psychopath? You know, mm-hmm. so things like that. Uh, and then he had uh, in around uh, around Inf- Infinite Crisis, they introduce a new ragdoll who's the son of the original ragdoll, and he becomes not a hero but a protagonist at least in the Secret Six series, which was a group of villains who were kind of doing the right thing, kind of sorta. And that dude was messed up and it was fascinating. And he was the son of this ragdoll. And it was really fascinating. They didn't just say, like the ice school, where the ice school son is basically the same dude. No, ragdoll son was completely different. And like he, anyway, I don't want to go into too much of that, but it was really fascinating. And so seeing this version of ragdoll looking all raggedy Andy kind of thing, it's just, it's kind of hard for me to process. Um, and I learned some stuff reading here too. Like I didn't realize, you know, he's a contortionist and an, an eccentric dancer. I don't know if that's code for stripper or what, but it's there. Put just put it out there. Um, and it it is really creepy to think of a child's toy, you know, hiding in your house, you know, unfolding himself from a suitcase and you know, putting you at gunpoint. I will say my favorite part of the drawing is in the bottom right hand corner in the surprint. Those two guys who had their love hands it. up. I love those two guys with their hands up. They they look so cartoony. I just love it. it they look great. like uh, Terrence and Philip from oh, they South Park. Do. They do. You're right. Canadian oh guys. Yeah. 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 Um, so they mentioned here, and I mentioned mentioned this with crim, with the crim, uh, what am I saying? Crime Syndicate is they talk about the prison limbo that the JLA and JSA stick them in. Uh, that weird limbo dimension where they lock people up, like put them in a glass box, no food, no bathroom, just nothing. The JLA was so weird about that and so horrible. And in this case, they actually say there's a court order that gets them released, which is hilarious. Um, anyway, so, uh, lots of incarnations of this character. We know, as we said, the golden age one, the version in Starman, the secret six version. And, um, no, interesting too. They make a point of saying he has no powers. He is just uses his contortionist abilities to great effect. 
So at this point, again, Husu issue number 19 is when this was published. Uh, his first appearance is Flash Comics number 36 from 1942. At this point, uh, when number 19 of Husu was on the shelves, All-Star Squadron 24 through 26 were on the shelves. Uh, I'm sorry, that's, I'm sorry, that's when we last saw him. I apologize. It was All-Star Squadron 24 through 26. That's the last time we saw him, uh, in Annual 2. And, and then we saw him in Crisis too. I, I forgot he's in Crisis. He absolutely is. So for more on him, again, Earth 2 um, podcast, JS Justice League, uh, sorry, Justice Society Presents, or you can go read the Secret Six comics, or apparently he was in The Flash, um, and also the Batman cartoon, the one called The Batman. So everyone's, I think you were in a movie one time, Rob, I think so. Everyone, everyone seems to have been. Uh, you know, everybody, I want to give you all a peek behind the curtain. Um, before, between doing the first, after the first episode, before the second episode, Shag said, I think we want to make sure, since we have feedback coming, we want to make sure this episode is a little shorter. So I'll go a little lighter on all the listings. And then Shag just talked for about 10 straight minutes about Ragdoll after I did it. So see how we're doing here. I'm on target to end in the time I told you we were supposed to. I'm watching the (laughs) clock right now. And if you start moving your lips, we'll get through these next two entries in 10 minutes like I'm supposed to do. I'm just saying... You gave the first appearance of Ragdoll after I did it five minutes earlier. <laughs> I said the year. Okay. All right. See? I did the extra research. <laughs> um, yes, that's and you don't, you, you don't usually do the first appearance. I usually come, go, just talk about your stupid one. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, uh, <laughs> the next listing is the terrible trio, which is uh, actually the behind-the-scenes pet name Shag and I give Siskoid uh, Ryan and Chris when when they don't uh, when their back is turned. Dude, but, uh, they might be listening. Are you freaking crazy? <laughs> they're, they're not listening. Okay. This is this is a villain team that first appeared in Detective Comics number two fifty three, which puts them kind of golden Nin- age, but nineteen fifty eight. See, I have that information. Okay, great. They're, they're, they're golden age, maybe, but maybe silver age. You know, it's kind of, uh, you know, who knows? Uh, it's drawn by Terry Beatty. Again, another artist who very rarely at this point did work for DC Comics. He was most famous for drawing Ms. Tree, uh, the mystery book written by Max Allen Collins. But here he is doing his best Sheldon Moldoff. Uh, impersonation, which is great, especially on the Serpent. The, the Batman and Robin look incredibly stiff, which is exactly the kind of the way Sheldon Moldoff drew these guys. So he's aping, uh, another style, which I think he's doing great, but it's these three villains and they, they're in suits, except they have giant animal masks. One of them is a buzzard. One is a fox and the other is a shark and they are goofy as all get out. Oh yeah, but, they are, but they were. You know, they're kind of dapper in their own way, mm-hmm. and they each have their own machine that can, like, they each have their own, like, vehicle. Uh, the fox has a burrow machine. The shark has an eel machine. I mean, so it's like, uh, that's kind of cool. I like that. I like that they, they these guys come with, like, their own accessories. So they, these would have made a great uh, couple of uh, action figure sets for, like, the JLU line or something. But um <laughs> But they're I they're super goofy. I I think this is most likely just a favor somebody somebody's playing favorites, whether it was mm. Bob Greenberger or Lynn Ween or whatever, because I don't think they had appeared a whole lot uh, after sort of their run in the golden in the quasi silver age. But nevertheless, it's drawn by Terry Beatty. They look great. 
Well, I believe at this point, uh, when this was done, and I might be wrong, again, research is a little harder nowadays, folks, on the internet than it used to be in the old days. But uh, So, as you mentioned, the 1958 appearance, I believe their next appearance was in Batman number 176 from 1965. So, I don't think they had appeared in 20 years at this wow. point. But there's been a ton of mileage gotten out of these characters since then. I mean, part of their shtick is they're great inventors, and they do this cool gi- gimmick where they always do three crimes – and they all, or, or at least a crime that involves three things. It has to involve land, sea, and air for each one of the animals they represent. So there's always that kind of fun gimmick, which, which is a great hook, right? I mean, that's a great storytelling hook. And so they've been in Batman the Animated Series. They were in the show The Batman. They were in Batman Brave and the Bold. In fact, Matt Wagner used them in the Dr. Midnight miniseries. I don't know if you've ever read that, Rob. There was a three-issue miniseries called Dr. Midnight where they introduced a new Dr. Midnight. Uh, it was written by Matt Wagner and drawn by John K. Schneider III. Uh, so you might really enjoy that. And it's got the terrible trio as bad guys in there. And that, that's the first time I ever really engaged with them and, made, and thought they were interesting. But artistically, yeah, he does do a very fun, silver-agey kind of gimmick here because yeah terry Beatty doesn't look like that i mean look at the wild dog stuff he did doesn't look anything like this so he's definitely aping it now aping get it animal having fun with it um this is from who's who number 23 uh you can also uh for more information on them you could i imagine the overlooked dark knight maybe touched on it but you could definitely get some more out of them i think with batman family reunion uh potentially at some point and then uh yeah that's all i got on this one and they will be the villains in the next batman movie actually that would that would actually really track Oh, believe it or not. That would make sense. <laughs> All right. Final entry is Tomahawk and Dan Hunter. Woo-hoo. How did you get this one? How did you get Tomahawk? Because you got Terrible Trio. So uh, I didn't want it. Believe me, I tried to give it to you, but it wasn't a fair balance. Anyway, he is a revolutionary war hero. I mean, guys, he is uh, Davy Crockett is what's going on here. He's got the whole Davy Crockett vibe with Dan Hunter as his sidekick. I mean, he was active in DC Comics from 1950 to 1972. So DC was absolutely trying to bank on that whole revolutionary war, Davy Crockett sort of vibe. Uh, it was kind of different, though, for DC Comics by 1972. They didn't have a lot of those. And he got he was famous for you know running around with the Tomahawk Rangers and Miss Liberty. And they were always fighting Lord Schilling. Um, I should mention, by the way, this is art by Dan Spiegel, which to me is fun because uh, this is a very traditional style art piece. You know, you got the awesome logo, which looks phenomenal, by the way. Um, and then you've got in the foreground, you know what that looks almost like a Sergio Aragonez Western kind of logo to me is what that looks like. But then you've got Dan and, and Tomahawk in the foreground standing there with a rifle and their deerskin hats. In the background, you've got him talking to, which uh, Serpent appears to be George Washington, uh, fighting some uh, attacking Indians, and then is out scouting. So what do you think of the art on this one? I love Dan Spiegel. I've always liked Dan yep. Spiegel. He drew the Blackhawk, the later iteration of Blackhawk for DC Comics. Uh, he has a classical style. He did a million pages. He did a lot of funny animal stuff, if you can believe it. Very, very versatile <laughs> Uh, artist, I think I even when he passed away a couple of years ago, I think I even did a little tribute, like an FW presents tribute on him. I liked his his work so much. Uh, but yeah, it, it looks great. He drew, you know, it looks great here. I don't think he, I don't know if he actually drew any of the Tomahawk comics. Oh, didn't he? No, didn't he draw the, the the son of Tomahawk? No, that's Frank Thorne. Oh, yeah. So I don't. I, this might just be because Dan Spiegel wasn't so much a superhero guy, and this is more a Pizzelli, well, and so you know, he was. He was drawing the DNA agent spinoff at this point. Um, the name of the series is, uh, is evading me at the moment, but there was a spinoff uh, that he was part of. I want to say, wasn't there? It was Crossfire and Rainbow. Yeah. Uh, which was again written by Mark Evanier. They were, they were longtime partners. They did a lot okay. of book and he drew the Crossfire book. 
yeah. which was sort of superhero-ish. He was a guy in a costume, but he didn't yeah. have superpowers or anything like okay. that. But but he was definitely more of a you know war comic genre comic kind of guy outside of superhero. So I guess it made, this might have been something that he asked to do. Um, but it looks it looks it looks quite nice. Um, yeah. I you know Dan Hunter, his little teen sidekick, um, who by the way first appeared in the same comic mm-hmm. as as Tom Hogg. They both appeared in the same book. Uh, later on, when they flash forward in a sort of desperate bid to save the Tomahawk book, and they moved it up 30 years or 40 years, and Tomahawk is all of a sudden an old man, which they mention here in the listing, and we're introduced to Son of Tomahawk, there is no mention of Dan Hunter. He does not appear in any of those Son of Tomahawk books. He's never mentioned. So, oh. uh, yeah, and as it says here, Dan's Hunter's, Dan Hunter's fate is unknown. But, yeah, and, and for some reason, he never makes an appearance in, like, the 12 or so Son of, Son of Tomahawk comics. What, you think he'd be like Uncle Dan or something or whatever? Yeah, yeah it's, that's really it's, strange. Yeah, maybe they just didn't care or whatever. But it's, it's sort of funny that he was he was the Robin to this guy's Batman, and yet when they moved the book forward, they're like, nope, he's he's gone. It's crazy. Like a character, of this is just gone from the headspace. Like he doesn't. Most people don't even know he existed. He's one hundred and thirty issues. One hundred and thirty issues. Um, you know, till nineteen seventy, and then Son of Tomahawk takes over after that, I believe, if I've got yep. that right. Yep. So just just shocking. First appearance was Star Spangled Comics number sixty nine from nineteen forty seven. So uh Rob, if somebody wanted more of Tomahawk and Dan the Hunter, where could they look? <laughs> well, um <laughs> you could buy the Vertigo one shot by Tim Truman that was on okay. Tomahawk from the nineties. But if you really like Tomahawk, find yourself the Treasury comic. <laughs> Superman's, you know, we had to mention it. Superman salutes the bicentennial. Don't let the cover fool you that Superman is is on because the whole book is Tomahawk reprints. And if you like Tomahawk reprints, uh, this is your book. Because if you, if you want a lot of disembodied Superman heads on the splash page saying, let me tell you about the time Tomahawk did this. And then we cut to a reprint. There's your book. I am so glad you picked up what I was laying down. I wasn't sure if you were going to get me, but you did. Oh, no. Awesome. no it's it, Any comic nerd who knows Tomahawk knows that infamous comic, because it, it is one of the great bait and switches in all of comics. Oh, it's hilarious. All right, so we did it. Uh, we're done. That is our 13 entries, folks. So, Rob, as I ask you every time we do this, uh, what are the best entries in, at least not this issue, but this collection? Well, certainly All-Star Squadron. I Correct. Mean, that's a no-brainer. I, I, I Okay. I, in the interest of not listing half the book, because I yeah. feel like that defeats the purpose, I'm really cutting, cutting, cutting. I'm, so I'm going to say the best three. Uh, I'm, I, I, I'm, doing, I'm cutting it down to three. Best three. All-Star Squadron, Hawkgirl, Ragdoll. Okay. For me, then it'd be All-Star Squadron, Crime Syndicate, and Hawkgirl. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, something about Superwoman. Anyway, uh, Kane was in the close running, by the way. Kane came very close. Yeah, so- I mean, yeah Terrible Trio and Kane are like my alternates. Yeah. All right. So that's going to do it for these folks. So we are going to take a quick podcast from a break. And when we come back, we are going to cover your feedback from who's who review number one. In 2011, the irredeemable shag and aqua Rob Kelly teamed up to create the fire and water podcast. In 2016, they teamed up with Ryan Daly, The Franklins, and Siskoid to form the Fire & Water Podcast Network. A network built on teaming up needs a show about team-ups. Marvel Team-Up. Yes. The Brave and the Bold? You know it. Marvel 2-in-1. It's clobbering time. DC Comics presents... Of course. Supervillain Team-Up? Good idea. Youngblood X-Force? Mmm, technically. 
FW Team Up, coming this summer, only from the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Hey, Sean, did you know that Batman Family Reunion is expanding? Oh my god, what? Our episodes are now going to be three hours long? No, no, no. Now that we have moved into Detective Comics, we are going to see stories starring other members of the, let's say, extended Batman family, like the human target. He's a detective. The demon. He's been in Batman Family before. Elongated Man. He's a detective. Red Tornado. He's been in Batman Family before. Black Lightning. Ooh, he's cool. And the Adam. He's small. <laughs> I'm excited by the upcoming artists. Not only are we still going to see my favorite, Michael Glorious Golden, but we will see art by Don Newton, Dick Giordano, Irv Novick, Jose Delvo, Johnny Craig, and even Steve Ditko and Dan Spiegel. Awesome, but we won't forget the original stars. We'll see Robin return to the big top and Babs discover a family secret. Man Bat teams up with Jason Bard, Batman teams up with Batgirl, and we will finally get an all-new Alfred story. We will see villains like Maxi Zeus, the Riddler, the Crime Doctor, and the Truckers. But Paul, you know people say that the best part about the reunion is getting to interact with our Bat cousins. I personally think it's all of the food, but I understand their point of view. We are continuing our guest list, including some repeat visits, but also some new Bat relatives. We love that our show has become a real family reunion, and we can't wait for you to hear what we have planned. That's the Batman Family Reunion on all of your podcast apps, only on the Fire & Water Podcast Network. All right, folks, we are here to do your feedback in a segment we call Who's Who, How's and Why's. So, folks, since we have fired up the Who's Who feed again on a hopefully fairly regular basis, we are asking if you wouldn't mind leaving us some iTunes reviews. If you haven't left us one before, it would be sincerely appreciated. It helps raise the profile of the show, and it's just a great way to show your thanks for everything we're putting out there. Uh, if you've left one before, awesome. You're my favorite person. You're invited to Christmas at Rob's house. So, all right, Rob, why don't you start us off with the feedback? <laughs> you can meet us all down at the shore, everybody. That's where we'll be. Uh, okay, so first up is Doug Adamson, who says, a quick review of Who's Who Review. I've not managed to finish the original Who's Who shows. I got sidetracked by the insolent work uh, by Siskoids, who's editing. Come on, Doug, what are you doing? And got to the point that I was now almost in sync with Who's Who and Who's Editing. So I've not listened to all the other Who's Who episodes. I have managed Golden Age uh, 1 and the last one, Update 93, number 2, and 1 to 21. Oof. So now I have a crisis. Aha. Do I go back to the CWW classic Who's Who run and try and complete, or do I progress with the new reboot of Who's Who? It's going to be a tough call because the rebirth version has slightly more of the same energy as the classic. This time around, Rob is more chipper. Of course, for me, Who's Who number one is about 15 months old, not 15 years or whatever it is. So uh, for this next generation, I really noticed the jump in the tone and sound recording quality that others might have only heard in a gradual transition. For example, they might not have even noticed that Rob barely mentions his time in the Cubert School these days. And then, <laughs> and then news flash point. Shag has focused less on the hotness of the women in recent times. It is, after all, almost it, it is almost a, a new millennium. <laughs> so, okay, my advice to you, Doug, is to keep going with Classic Who's Who beca- or uh, jump past issue six, 26 or whatever, because then you get all the, uh, you know, Who's Who update 87, 88, the annuals, loose leaf, because we're not covered any of that. In Who's Who review, none of that's going to get, well, at least not for another five years uh, or so. It's no, not we're, not get... we're not doing that. <laughs> well, you don't want to do a barter again and uh, <laughs> flaw and child and all those? The um, L period, E period, G period. Right? No, I do not. <laughs> so I, you know, I'd advise you go ahead and keep going forward because you're going to get uh, stuff that we're not going to repeat in those later ones. But there we go. 
Uh, did you go to Cuber school? I didn't know that, Rob. That's weird. <laughs> By the way, Doug, I loved all the Easter eggs in the comment. I did yes. notice all those. Yeah. Uh, next up is Matt Royce from the TV Movie Rewind podcast. He was just a guest on my Fade Out show just a couple of months ago, by the way. Uh, he says, oh, the random selections that could be possible. Forever Omega Morts, Snapper Car and the Nuclear Family, The Composite Superman Corporation, Slipknot, Angleman, Brother Geek, and the Plastic Ono Band. Okay, the last one isn't likely, but I can dream. Any reason you guys can come up with the get-together to talk about who's who, I'll be listening. Looking forward to more episodes, and I hope to be around in 2034 for Who's Who Review Redux. <laughs> that could happen. I mean, it could happen. It's a terrifying thought. 11 years from now, I mean, we're not going to remember what we said today, so who it knows? It's a terrifying thought. By the way, Matt had me on his uh, show to talk about Super Friends not too long ago, which was a real blast, so... All right, uh, up next is just Hal, simply Hal. Uh, Hal says, yeah, you guys were right about Hijack. He was an original member of the Royal Flesh Gang who disliked uh, being a villain. So, or, I'm sorry, uh, who decided he liked being a villain. Interesting. Okay. Well, I, and I bring that up because Rob McCarthy, uh, who's the author of the book, The Star, The Space Princesses, and more, also talks about Hijack. He says, Hijack is Jack from the Royal Flesh Gang after the Joker killed the originals. Then huh. he says that then well then he says it's a, a bit of a problem because Joker number five supposedly where he kills them, but he says he's read Joker number five and Joker does not kill the Royal Flesh Gang. Uh, the Joker does kill a lot of people in that issue, but not them. And he goes, uh, he thinks everyone should read Joker number five as a masterclass in getting around the Comics Code Authority. <laughs> Interesting. All right, thanks, Rob. Okay. Uh, Ado Boznar says, as soon as I heard the show's title pronounced out loud, I started humming the new zoo review theme song in my head. So Rob going into it almost immediately was quite apropos. Uh, since I missed most of your original run, I find the idea of going back and listening to the entire back catalog of episodes a bit daunting. So this kind of sort of reboot seems like a really good idea to me. And I enjoyed the first episode. Otherwise, I have to say that while Prince Raman may have been popular with the college kids, he was generally considered a bad influence because he's a bit too salty. <laughs> that's hysterical uh by the way we should we should mention i didn't mention on the top if you want your comments read on the show please leave a comment on our website we receive so many comments on who's who that we're only pulling the comments from the website that's the only way we can get through all these so uh, that is something to keep in mind folks all mm-hmm. right uh then we heard from you know what else we didn't do we didn't do the randomizer noise often enough oh man uh it's almost like we should go boop 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 as we read Super Captain's review or comment here. He says, I think that I mentioned in another comment section on the network that I discovered the Who's Who podcast during the madness of early 2020. As a DC fan for the last 45 years or so, it was right up my alley catabra. Oh my gosh, Super Captain, that's bad. Um, He he says, I'd like to think that the trickster picked up his striped pants and pointy blue shoes uh, from Harlequin's yard sale. Uh, that is quite possible. I think it's the same yard sale that Cronus was shopping at, probably, as well. And then I talked about Vandal Savage last episode being the top JSA villain. He poses the question, is that the top JSA villain? He says, I guess Vandal Savage is in the running, especially considering his big role in the DC Legends tomorrow. I would also nominate Perdegaton as my personal favorite. The Ultra Humanite recognizes uh, that the Humanite is mainly for Superman, but the JLA-JSA crossover featuring him leading his own secret society supervillains is one of my favorite stories ever. And of course, at one point, he was an ape and monkeys rule. Yeah, no, th- those are fair. I, those three villains do seem to be the main JSA villains. Yes, Ultra Humanite, Predegaton, and Vandal Savage. I, and I do think Predegaton is probably the premier JSA villain in the comics, but I feel like as far as it goes uh, popular media, I think Vandal Savage kind of wins out. 
Kevin from New Orleans says, I got to say, four Who's Who shows on the network is awesome. Uh, I got a question for y'all. Years ago, DC put out a bunch of one-shots called Secret Files and Origins. Would y'all ever think about doing a show on that? Um, well, first off, the four shows, that, it made me scratch my head for a second. I'm like, four Who's Who shows. But yeah, it's Who's Who, the original show, which we still have uh, to do impact on. Uh, who's Who Review, which is this one. Siskoid's Who's Editing. And then Who's That, which is our uh, our special uh, character focus shows. So yeah, four of them. Well, uh, actually, who's, who's Hot or Not, too. That's true. That's five. actually five. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So uh, specific to Secret Files and Origins, no, we're, we're not going to do that on the Who's Who food. We did have a talk about that a long time ago. And Rob said, what is that? Um, so he didn't even know what those things are. Cause I mean, they started around the year 98, 99, I want to say. Uh, and they're very character focused. You know, it's like the Flash Seeker Files or the JLA Seeker Files or Green Lantern Seeker Files. And they're great. Personally, I love the Seeker Files and they do have essentially who's who entries in them. I mean, they're great, but they're so specifically character focused. I think it's probably better left to those being handled in specific, specific shows. Like, you know, maybe someday I'll get Rob drunk and we can cover the Aquaman Seeker Files on the uh, Aquaman and Firestorm show. Or I will definitely be covering some of them on the JSA Presents show when I get to those in the, in the nineties. So uh, I, yeah, I don't think we're going to cover them, but I, I love them too, buddy. I love them, Kevin. All right, what you, we got next, Rob? You, you saw me a little tipsy at my wedding. That's it, Chag. You're not, <laughs> it's not happening again. Uh, Buffalo DeLorean, which is one of the great handles I've ever read on any of the feedback we've ever gotten, uh, says, I found the huge archive of past Who's Who episodes a bit daunting. Again, there's that word daunting. But the very good Who's That uh, Nightshade episode encouraged me, encouraged me to go back and search for commentary on my favorite characters. This new show sounds like a great alternative. You know, you know why that nightshade episode is so good, right? Because I'm not on it. Bingo. There you go. I really like. I just decided to just, let's get right to the meat of the the, the joke. <laughs> I really like Paul Copperberg's checkmate and Jen Durson's Star Wars work, but I only know Arion from Crisis and Paragirl's backstory. Fantasy comics don't really appeal to me. Yeah, cosine. But I do like the DC fleshed out Atlantis with characters that weren't directly linked to Aquaman. So the same. I- I know I keep interjecting, but I told you that this, this show always makes me read comics. I went back and read a bunch of Aarons after we did last episode, by the way. How'd they hold up? Um, I enjoyed them. I was reading the Warlord backups. So okay. uh, I enjoyed them. It was fun. Okay. The same brothers of evil who killed the Doom Patrol also betrayed Mala and the Brain. So their new brotherhood actually teamed up with the Titans against the Doom Patrol killers in their first appearance. The issue introduced Mala and the Brain's relationship was the only time they showed up in Grant Morris's run, but it completely changed the way they were portrayed. Apparently, they aren't even villains in the new Superman show, just a couple of outcasts in love. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, and then one of the things he says, maybe Prince Raman's short life. You know, I'm screwed. I, I, I just said he. I don't know that Buffalo is a is a man. I apologize. If, uh, but anyway, Buffalo says maybe Prince Raman's short life was because of his new name. Mark Merlin's much cooler and more super heroic. Actually, agreed. Yeah, Mark yeah. Merlin is a way cooler name. I don't know why they did that to him. Now we didn't highlight. No, we only cherry pick, by the way, certain bits and pieces to come. But if we if we went through mathematically, I'm thinking Prince Raman got more comments. From than any other character in the feedback. I mean, the Prince Raman gets mentioned a lot. So apparently our discussion sparked a lot of people thinking about Prince Raman. <laughs> he's got to eventually appear in live action somewhere. All right. Oh, gosh. He's, he's it seems, seems logical. Yeah. 
Um, Steve Givens, our pal from the It's a Givens blog, says, well done, gentlemen. A great premise to keep the series going and using this review as a way to gauge your individual growth of the last decade or so will make for a far more interesting and personalized reexamination of the Who's Who entries. I encourage you not only to maintain, but also build upon the reflective component inherent in what you're doing. Hell, you two have been doing Erzat's psychoanalyses of each other for all these years anyway. <laughs> Might as well completely lean into it. Sit as, down on my couch, Rob. <laughs> as, for the ep- as for the episode with Perez art up for consideration, it will be difficult to not uh, pick that that as the best entry of the 13. But Subberg's entry has always been a standout and is definitely the best of the bunch discussed on the show, with perhaps Jan Dersima's Ariane being a close second. Although some might call it dated, I've always missed this version of Vic and lamented him becoming essentially a transformer with a human head in later incarnations. Recent depictions of him have gone back to a more classic version where he is a true cyborg, 50% human, 50% machine. That look always suited Vic best, I think, as it provides a clear visual representation of the inner turmoil he is suffering. Well, that's all I have for now, guys. Thanks for a great show. Thanks, Steve. Appreciate that, Steve. Thank you so much. They were from Bucky749 of the American Samurai, who has their own YouTube channel. Uh, Bucky says, Mark Merlin, changing his name to Prince Ramon, sounds like the name for a pro wrestler whose finishing move is the Texas Cloverleaf renamed to Instant Ramen Just Add Pain. Oh, my gosh, <laughs> Bucky. <laughs> uh, very fascinating idea. <laughs> I, I, I can't testify to wrestler um, lingo, but it does sound like something that you'd hear, might hear them say. Then Siskoid, um, from the Firewater Podcast Network, who does shows like Who's Editing or Oh Hot Mo or Not and many more, says, I like your randomizer sound better than mine. Well, boop, 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 boop. Yeah, you're welcome, Cisco. Uh, then he shares some information on Prince Ramon again. Uh, I This is mainly covering what we covered, but it's, it's, he sort of sums it up better than we did. So Mark Merlin was an investigator of the supernatural who appeared in a regular strip in House of Secrets for 50 issues. Uh, then in... Uh, for, then seven years later, DC decides they need to superhero him up with uh, issue number 73. They turn him into Prince Raman. The bottom line is that Raman is a completely different character in terms of looks and abilities, but they kept his headquarters in the fictional town of Cloister and all of Mark Marlin's supporting cast. The strip was put out of its misery, uh, what is it, seven issues later when House yep. of Seekers was effectively canceled. Ramon would not appear again until whatever happened to feature in DC Comics Presents number 32, and then he would die in Crisis number 12. Uh, he has since appeared, but it's been convoluted. So there you go. Convoluted is a pretty good uh, descriptor for all of Prince Raman, I think. Yeah, I think so. Uh, Isamu Hideki Yukinori, uh, our podcast network nephew, says, first up, I enjoyed Uncle Rob's rendition of part of the theme of the news review. And yes, that children's show was way before my time. The first time I saw a clip of it was on TikTok in a scene where Freddy the Frog told Charlie the Owl to go f himself, which I'm pretty <laughs> sure was which I'm pretty sure was faked. That prompted me to look up an episode of the original '72 show on YouTube to compare. And if that bit I saw was faked, the voice impressions were really spot on. I would later learn this was an actual outtake clip of the animal suit actors joking around on the set. Oh my gosh, that is hysterical. So it's probably time for me to admit I've never actually seen the new zoo review. I am aware of it, certainly, but I'd never seen it. Uh, now, Asamu went ahead and wrote full lyrics. I'm not going to sing them, guys. You're not getting that out of me. But he, uh, you can read it on our website. Asamu actually wrote lyrics for the whole song all about who's who, which is hysterical. Then he goes on to say about Cyborg. He says, I first encountered him on the Superpowers Team cartoon, though I knew he was in the Teen Titans because he was on the George Perez New Teen Titans poster that Dad had on the wall of his study. I was curious about the terrible accident that damaged most of his body, which led me to read Tales of the New Teen Titans number one and eventually all of my dad's New Teen Titans comics. Interestingly, Fire 
Firestorm made a comment on the cartoon about Cyborg being the same age, which made me wonder why Firestorm wasn't a member of the Teen Titans in the comics like Cyborg and Robin were. That's a great question. Um, there is no in DC world answer for that. The only answer is, uh, Jerry Conway was writing JLA. I mean, that's, that's really the only answer that makes any sense to Samu. But, uh, that's a good observation. Then, Rob, you posed the question last time if a bunch of ice films had ever teamed up. And, uh, Asamu was one of the many people who chimed in with all kinds of different team ups that have happened, which are great. He points out that five ice villains, uh, Ice Skull Jr. and Sr., Mr. Freeze, Killer Frost, and Captain Cold all teamed up in the Young Justice cartoon across three different episodes. So they made it into uh, extra media there for you, Rob, which is amazing. Mm. Then he says about the OSS, he goes, the art by Rick Estrada is different than any I'd ever seen in other comics. It looks like he's imitating Joe Cuber's style a bit there. It looks really nice regardless. Hmm. I don't know. You know Rick Estrada better than me. I, did you sense that there was uh, some Cubert uh, in there? Uh, I, I don't really see Cubert in there. I, okay. I really don't. I, again, I love Rick Estrada's work, but I, yeah, I'm not, I'm not seeing, not seeing that. Okay. All right. Uh, and then he goes on to say that, uh, you, you mentioned that they appeared in one issue of Showcase. And, uh, so. Who wonders if the showcase issue was to try out to see if the OSS could have their own comics separate from GI Combat. Uh, too bad the DC implosion would have stopped it if showcase tryout had been a hit. Uh, and then, uh, let's see. Secret Society Supervillains. So he he talks about the hijack uh, issue, which is the guy from Royal Flush Gang. He says he joins the Secret Society issue number two, where he said he left the Royal Flush Gang to be a super crick on his own. No mention of the Joker killing the rest of the gang, though I'm not sure where that note comes from, because it wasn't in the entry. And Joker number five, the Joker merely helped the police capture them. So there we go. So somewhere there's a note that says the Joker killed the, uh, the, the Royal Flush Gang in issue number five, when apparently none of that's true. Uh, I talked about Marv Wolfman, uh, Vandal Savage specifically. I talked about Marv Wolfman wanting to make him a businessman. So Osama comes with the details here. He goes, I've read Marv Wolfman's Vandal Savage businessman stories in Action Comics, and they really informed what I had read in the post-crisis of Lex Luthor. Superman defeated Vandal Savage by tricking him into admitting his wrongdoing on national TV, which, as we all know, is really effective in stopping crooked businessmen from taking over the country. <laughs> <laughs> well played, my friend. Uh, and then I had asked, you and I talked about, because Vandal Savage is very slight in the Who's Who entry, but now he's like this giant burly dude. Uh, Someone comes at us with the, I mean, he is just, th- that apple did not fall far from his dad's no, tree. The fountain of information. Just amazing the information this guy finds. So Vandal Savage first became a big burly dude in Wally West Flash series, hearkening him back to the originally being a caveman. He was a big brute and brilliantly cunning on the Young Justice cartoon, which is the first time I encountered him. And also on that show, he was Arion's grandfather. Interesting. All right. Well, thank you so much, Osama. We appreciate it. Amazing stuff. Uh, we got the comment from Dr. Ange, who does the Supergirl blog comic box commentary, part of the Legion of Super Bloggers, of course. He says, I was interested to hear what this show was going to be. Having heard it, I like the idea a lot. As you say, tastes and thoughts change over time. So looking back at these again, it's a pretty cool idea. A few comments. The brain. Yes, Sinkevich brings the fire here in, uh, in, in every entry he does. And he got tagged for some B or C listers. Yes, it is my mandatory comment lauding his work on the Dr. Zin Zin entry. He always has to get that in. I was I was just thinking in my head. He's going to mention Dr. Zin Zin. He's always got to mention Zin Zin. <laughs> but his silver swan is also crazy. I like how part of this show is listing all the other media we have seen these characters in. The brain is everywhere. Yeah, he is. Uh, regarding Ultra, few characters make young Ange go, oh, my God, shut up. More than Ultra, who is just a whiner. Crazy uh, that up-and-comer Larson was given the assignment. <laughs> uh, 
Oh, wow. Okay. Um, then we heard from Chuck Coletta from the Bowling Green State University Pop Culture Conference. He says, I recently purchased both volumes of the Who's Who Omnibus Collections from uh, for the Brown Popular Culture Library at BGSU. They are now in the reference section of the library's reading room. That is amazing. Who's Who is in a university uh, library reading room. That is just so awesome. Everyone's tuition went up three dollars just so they could cover <laughs> those books. <laughs> uh, Noah Tarnell from the big quiz thing and the I don't get it, the pop culture get off my lawn cast, which is kind of the subtitle for this show, says, Hurrah, more Hootsu nerd nip. Who doesn't love a brain in a jar is a slogan for the agent. Dag, <laughs> tell me what size t-shirt you wear. I thought of the perfect birthday present for you. <laughs> Yes, Rob, I can think of two instances of DC teaming up their cold villains to create Shelly supergroups. One was in the rare backup story in a 70s issue of JLA, in which Captain Cold, the Icicle, and Minister Blizzard, an obscure Wonder Woman foe, joined forces in some scheme, only to be overshadowed heh, by the Shadow Thief. Oh, gosh. I can't believe I didn't remember that, because I have that issue of Justice League, so that's shame on me for not remembering that. Anyway, he continues on. He says, the other was an issue of the early 2000s Super Friends series, which featured a group uh, called something like the Ice Pack, if memory served. You had Captain Cold and the Icicle again, now with Mr. Freeze, Killer Frost, and another deep-cut Wonder Woman foe, the Blue Snowman. Mm. Actually, a woman in a male identity, the character was later brought into a modern continuity as a gender-fluid person, perhaps ironic for a villain whose MO centers on frozen water. Interesting. Y- your By the way. Yes. Okay. I was going to say, the, the freezing idea, there's one that's coming up that you're going to go, oh, my God, I can't believe I forgot. But go ahead. Okay. Your discussion of Bill Sienkiewicz led me down a mental rabbit hole of trying to name all of his entries in the original Who's Who series. He got the brain, Monsignor Mala, as the cool kids call him. I Silver, love you. Silver Swan, Mad Hatter, Tweedledee, Tweedledum, and Mirage. I'm sure I'm missing plenty. Another fun mental game to keep me from falling asleep at night. <laughs> I mean, so many of these entries are burned into our brains, right? I mean, it's just you can't help but not remember them. All right, then we're here from our buddy Captain Entropy. He says, Robin Shag, I have to say, this was great. Listening to you talk about the same stuff over again was even better than I expected. <laughs> and I was looking forward to it as soon as I heard that you were doing it. Thanks for mentioning Maxi Zeus's first appearance in Detective Comics number 483. As it happens, the next episode of Batman Family Reunion covers that very issue. And the episode after that covers Maxi's second appearance. In fact, those two stories might be Maxi's best. The randomizer is clearly in tune with the FAWU, which is the Fire and Water Universe. Uh, so everyone, please check out our the, out the Batman Family Reunion, because Bat Cousins and uh, Sean and Paul are always terrific, and you never know what other Bat Cousins might show up. Hint, hint. Uh, now, if you excuse me, I need to go get this potato salad off my shirt. Awesome. <laughs> Uh, Brett Young uh, of Imaginate Design says, great show, Robin Shag. Great idea to bring the show back. Play the hits. In honor of the OG Who's Who return, I dug out some drawings to do when I was 14 and some of uh, 14 of some of the Who's Who covers. Looking at them now, I am horrified by some of the facial structures and poses, but you can't fault the commitment. And yeah, he posted six or seven of these gatefold covers featuring all the various who's who characters and good lord the commitment here i oh, they're mean phenomenal they're amazing it is a, a huge mountain of work uh drawing and he didn't just redraw the coverage like it's in the style of who's who coverage where they're all interacting but all the characters are interacting in different ways it's not just copying the dc version so uh it's it's really astounding stuff brett 
I, dude, you were 14 when you drew this. I am 51 and I can't draw anything, you know, even within a mile of anything like this. So I, dude, I'm blown away. These look phenomenal. You did an amazing job on these and thank you so much for sharing these with us. It's so exciting. Folks, you can see all of these out on, again, the comment section. You really got to check them out. Brett Young, um, the official Justice League International doily king, uh, has outdone himself again at age 14, no less. Uh, then we heard from John Coos from the Quintessential Gen X podcast with John, uh, John and Scott. He goes, you know what's the best thing about the Who's Who review? Quote, nice Rob, end quote. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure there's some industrious couch potato who will go back and compare Rob's words on the characters the first time around versus now, catalog it three ways and create some kind of chai-squared analysis of his different takes on the same entries over time. But it simply comes down to what Rob has said towards the beginning of the show. He is simply a happier person. Three cheers to happiness, Rob. I'm so happy for you. And he says he's being sincere, which actually is a huge thing because I've podcasted with John twice now, and sincere is not something he usually is. So that is quite a compliment to you, Rob. Thanks, John. <laughs> All right, then we're here from Symbol Pending was the Power Girl blog Symbol P- Pending, which is kind of nice. John and uh, Symbol Pending are actually rivals for who's the biggest Power Girl fan, so this is kind of nice having their comments together. Symbol Pending says, Who's Who was the podcast that brought me to the site, so another chance to go through these characters is a good thing, in my opinion. He says, I recently read the pre-crisis action comics in, uh, where Vandal Savage shows up in a mini-reboot that gives us uh, both Power Armor Lorex Lex and Robot Brainiac with a cool skull ship. Vandal, basically fed up with losing to the JSA, just moves from Earth 2 to Earth 1 and sets up a company using a series of ploys to make Superman look like he was crazy hate on for the perfectly innocent Vandal. Plus, he puts into play a rather elaborate ploy to conquer the world. It is so proto-Lex that it hurts. All right. See, I, that's fascinating to me, what they were doing with that. And I, I've never read those issues, so that is interesting to me, what uh, was going on back then with pre-crisis Vandal Savage. Then we heard from Martin Gray from the Too Dangerous for Girl blog. Martin says, uh, regarding Ariane, he says, I agree the look is a winner, and I usually can't stand heroes with long hair. Hello, Ultra. Uh, <laughs> I love the original Ariane. I enjoyed the 90s Ruby, but I do not like the new 52 version, and when the great Kurt Busiek made him an antagonist. Please do not Sargon, my mystical heroes. That's a great line. Uh, then Cyborg is just shag reflected my sentiments entirely. These pictures across the top really get across the horror of Victor's mutilation like nothing else. It's proper body horror. Rob's thoughts on how we've changed in our treatment of people with metal parts was really smart. Wow. That has never been strung together in a sentence before. So yeah, take it. <laughs> then about Harlequin, he says, I love Molly. I love her history. And it's so very golden age from pretending to be a mousy secretary to supervillain for the FBI. And he says, Marty Nodell's picture is so charming. Uh, it really is. It's really a great picture, Martin. And then <laughs> possibly my favorite comment in the whole page is this one where he goes, Maxi Zeus, like he's falling asleep. <laughs> <laughs> Solid burn. Solid, Solid burn, burn for a character I'm not too enamored with, so I like that. Thank you so much. We go. Uh, Paul Hicks from the Waiting for Doom and DC OCD podcast says, Redoing your old podcast? Fantastic idea. How about Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice review redo? Oh, my God. Yeah, there's a lot of people that don't know that our review of uh, Batman v Superman almost broke the network. Like, right right after we launched the stupid thing, too. Yeah, I mean, it, was, yeah. ooh, it was a disaster. We didn't right. know. We didn't we, we, know. We didn't know what we were messing with. We didn't know the power we held, <laughs> what it could do. So we heard from Chuck Dill. Uh, then it says, excellent podcast. Very enjoyable. Everything seems much looser and more relaxed than the original. I'm looking forward to more. And it says, Shag is only half right. Boy, how, how many times have I heard that sentence? Uh, Shag is only half right. There was a character called The Brain in, uh, in the Aquaman Filmation cartoon. Oh, I'm sorry. There was a brain 
in the Aquaman filmation cartoon, just not the brain. Right. Uh, the brain from the cartoon was a filmation creation. A little brown guy in green robes out to prove his superiority over everyone. Yeah, sounds a little bit like Rob. All right. Uh, then we're from Joe X. This is Cyborg should have made myself laugh. It was so <laughs> random. This is such a, such a random drive-by shot at me. <laughs> I'm still laughing at it, though. Um, Joe X says Cyborg should resemble Deathlock as one of George Perez's first credits was working on Deathlock. He broke in as Rich Buckler's assistant back then. Ah, I didn't know that. All right. I did not know that either. And then he says Mark Millar's Wanted, which is huge, right, started life as an Elseworlds reboot of the Secret Society of Supervillains. That's insane. I had no idea. I didn't know that either. Wow. He's really bringing the information. Yep. And then uh, he says the businessman version of Vandal Savage was Wolfman's pitch for Luther, but when they soft-booted him and Brainiac, so he used Savage's idea instead in action comics. Marv eventually uh, finally got to use it for Luther in the Burn reboot, and it was his condition to work on the books. Interesting. More info about Vandal Savage just keeps coming out. This is all fascinating, folks. Uh, Chris Franklin, by the way, I love in the notes here, uh, Shag put Chris's credits as if anyone listening to this doesn't know who Chris Franklin is. I point. credit everyone. Everyone leaves a comment. I always put in because Rob's, Rob's never bothered to say this stuff. So I always put in like what their blogs or podcasts are or whatever. That's just very funny to me that people, we have to tell people that he's the, the co-host of the jail you cast. But anyway, he says, full disclosure, when Robin Shag mentioned this in the top secret fire and water stronghold of fortitude, I thought they were joking. Turns out the joke was on me because this was a lot of fun. A pair of fresh, uh, okay, worn out, sagging eyes can give you a new <laughs> perspective. I think a lot of us our age have lightened up about our fandoms because we've seen what the extreme side of that looks like thanks to socials. Very true, Chris. And it is ugly. Plus, comic continuity is just a joke nowadays, so it's easier to just enjoy stories, art, and characters for what they are and not to worry about what they should be or were. At least for a lot of us. It's one reason I'm enjoying the heck out of Mark Wade's new stuff at DC. I have no idea how any of this fits, and I could care less. It's just entertaining, just like Who's Who's entries. I'm looking forward to more random fun. Yeah, it's great points all, Chris. And, and Rob, if you're not reading the Mark Wade stuff he's been putting out lately, the world finest and all that, I mean, you would be over the moon. You would enjoy right. that so much. Duly noted. Okay. Yep. There are from Chris Pine, who says, as a relative new listener to the network, this show seems perfect for me, since Who's Who is part of the Fire and Water Holy Trinity and something I have very little experience with. So getting to listen to um, to the both of you revisit the series lets me see what the early days were like without having to dig up decades plus of older episodes. Yeah, I mean, we mentioned earlier that word daunting keeps coming up, right? So, you know, Chris is another one. So then he says, growing up, I was mostly a Marvel kid following Spider-Man from the Electric Company, and I didn't really get anything from DC until I was about 11 years old, working Saturdays at my local comic shop. And then the owner shoved the Dark Knight Returns in my hands and told me I had to keep it. At age 11? Really? Wow. Okay. Uh, after that, I started picking up some Batman books, and I didn't really love them. They were very soap opera-ish. Uh, like Batman was in a love triangle with, I want to say it was Catwoman and some pale lady. Yeah, that was Nocturna. Uh, and then he says, <laughs> all of that was probably while Crisis was happening or about then. I didn't really dig into DC until Legends. All this is a long-winded way to say that many of these characters in Who's Who are brand new to me. So having two experts help, experts, that's so cute. Uh, so having two experts help me navigate these books is a real treat. Ah, well, hey, Chris, we're just having to have you along, buddy. Absolutely. Uh, David Ace Gutierrez, the owner and operator of the Katana, Katana Banana Fruit Stand. See? Says, didn't, that, didn't that feel good saying that after so long? Yeah, it felt wonderful. Uh, wonderful to see the mothership back in some form. Love the new format. Thanks, Ace. Appreciate it. Uh, Paul Kent from this very network hosts, co-hosts the Batman Family Reunion podcast. He says, uh, well, with all these comments, I have to say something. Good show. 
Thank you, Paul. <laughs> uh, thank you, Paul. And then we have from Jeff Tischer, who says, uh, Who's Who came along at a very important developmental stage for me. I was six years old when my dad bought issue number nine, which was the G's issue, brought it home. I was hooked. I begged him to find the previous issues for me. Pouring over the series helped me to teach me to read. It influenced me in ways I didn't realize at the time. I know it's hard for this crowd to fathom, but words like immortal, colossal, and harbinger aren't words a typical six-year-old can understand. Hmm. Hey, Jeff, we, uh, you know, you and I have something in common. Who's Who number nine was my first issue. Who's Who as well. So look at that. All right. Uh, I'm a little older than you. Not by much. A little bit. Uh, for the brain, it says, as for the character, he and Monsieur Mala were just the antagonists in the Peacemaker Tries Hard series, which also features star Shag's favorite, Red B. Oh, yeah, baby. I am looking forward to reading Peacemaker Tries Hard. I cannot wait. It's on my list. Uh, then... Dude, this is the slap in the head moment where you go, oh my gosh, because last issue, uh, our last episode, you asked, had the Cole characters ever teamed up? Uh, yeah, as Jeff points out, they froze all of Earth-S during Crisis. We should totally both remember that, and we both totally forgot. That's embarrassing. Uh, yeah, wow. Then he says about Saturn Queen. Saturn Queen, by the way, did not get a lot of love in the comments, so I want to be sure to highlight this one, because I always love the art for this piece. I think it's amazing to think that Jurgens, who had only been in the business for four years when this entry came out, would go on to draw one of the biggest comic book events issues of all time. Of course, he's talking about um, Alien Invasion, or was it Armageddon 2001 Alien Invasion? I'm sure that's what he's talking about. But anyway, um, it, that's a joke. Anyways, the Saturn Queen has always kind of spooked me as a character. I never liked the idea of someone messing with my brain. She was used to great effect in the Superman-Batman Absolute Power storyline by uh, Jeff Loeb and Chris Pacheco, and again by Paul Levitz and friends in Volume 6 of the Legion of Superheroes in the Retro Boot era. Mm, interesting. All right. And then about White Witch. I love this piece in this character. I love the idea that she couldn't just wave her hands and make magic happen. She had to prepare for it. It was a nice juxtaposition to so many Legionnaires who could just point their hands and poof. I also loved her distinct personality, which was a hallmark of the Levitt's Legion. All right. Well, thank you so very much. Uh, what, what do we got next? Right. Bradley Glenn says, Shag and Rob. After originally covering the Who's Who entries in order and now doing them randomly, there's only one logical thing to do in the far future. Cover them in reverse order. <laughs> That'll we're be gonna, the Tana days. We're going to start with uh, Zoot Sputnik, I guess. <laughs> go <laughs> yeah. backward from there. Something like that. Uh, then Tom Perrin writes in to say, not directly re- related to the podcast, but I just discovered a new to me Who's Who entry for The Shadow Thief in Hawkman number one from 1986. I didn't know this thing existed. He says it has the same text as the one from Who's Who, but with different art. Hmm. Interesting. I that bought is... that book. I don't remember that being in there. I'll have to find All that right. book. Hmm. Then we're from Derek Crabb from the Fan Holes Podcast Network. He does shows such as uh, about Transformers and about the comic book Thunderbolts and more. He says, when I was a kid, I had Superpowers Brainiac, but received a second broken one in a trade with some other Superpowers toys. I proceeded to use the head and uh, and then use some quick drying clay to place the head on a wooden sil- cylindrical Lincoln Log type thing. And that was my action figure for the brain. So I found Rob's comment about how the brain looked like Superpowers Brainiac particularly on point. All right. Thanks, Derek. Then I asked everyone to suggest um, what the cyborg story could be, right? Because I didn't feel like there was one. And he pointed to Tales of the Teen Titans, number one, which, yeah, I would totally agree, Derek. I mean, that's probably the most best cyborg story out there, which is a shame because he's had his own ongoing series off and on here and there. And none of those ever get brought up. So uh, and then he pointed out another collection of ice characters was in the justice league adventures cartoon which was you know the one based on the animated series uh the ice pack was in there so interesting 
All right, so this is the part where we thank everybody who shared uh, our show on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, or Blue Sky. Uh, it, it is a long list of names, but we just want to recognize every single person who helps promote the show. And folks, you know what? You could be on this list. All you got to do is on Facebook, click share. On Twitter, click retweet. On Blue Sky, click whatever the hell it is that reposts it there, too. Uh, and we will say your name on the next episode. So uh, apologies to anyone I missed. I just want to say thank you to Between the Pages blog, Chris Franklin, Chris Lydon. Chuck Rodriguez, Daniel Budnick, David Ace Gutierrez, Diablo Frank, Doug Adamson, Dr. Ange, Dr. Pop Culture, Ed Moore, Kara Lovett, Keechee Baker, Connell, Leslie Trigg, Lizanne Oswald, Mark Baker Wright, Martin Gray, Max Romero, Michael Kramer, Mick Jamison, Mike Dinas, Monitor Earth Prime, Movie Matt Royce, Paul Ken, RV Athletics Fan, Sam Lowe, Scott X, Sean Ross, Siskoid, Starbot, Steve Givens, Tim Pendergrass, Tim Price, Warlock Thanos Podcast, and Willie Yarborough. All right, folks, that is going to do it. Remember, go out to our website and leave your comments there. You can also see the uh, image gallery and see all of the entries for this episode. And Rob, we did it in under two hours. Can you believe it? I'm so proud of us. <laughs> so that is going to do it. Rob, anything you want to say to the folks at home before we leave? No, I think we'll be back. We're 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 on a good rhythm here, so we will not. As Shake said, we will not take like eight months in between episodes, like we did the other book. Yep. Well, we were trying to drag it out until we found a way to reinvent ourselves. So there we go. So, folks, that is going to do it. Until next time. Who's next? next? Never going to get that right. That's pretty good, I thought. Aquaman and Superman, Animal Man and Plastic Man, Firestorm and Nuclear Man, Batman and Hawkman, 2D Man and Hour Man. Who are all these people, man? They're all part of the DC. Who's who? Ultra Boy and Booster Gold, Lightning Lass and Hippolyta, Phantom Stranger, Etrick and Arisia and Woozy Winks. Hey, hey, hey. What? What about that one guy? What guy? Mr. Pretzel, Mr. Lipstick, Mr. Mitzelfuzzle? Mr. Mitzi's Pitlick? Yeah, him. He's also part of the DC. Who's who? Oh man, we forgot Slipknot. Ah, the simple joys of Halloween. Good evening. My name is Kane, storyteller and caretaker of the House of Mystery. <laughs> 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 